Hey, everybody. Make sure you stay tuned to the end of the show because we're giving away something really cool. Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos to help us continue to make high quality and Torytainment for you. So basically, this album is a way of justifying or explaining a hectic love life, is it? Well, funny you say that. Because some, some, I don't take this wrong, Richard, but some, especially men, will say that. And writing these songs, each is a fragment that I wouldn't look at. Uh, whether it's the widow in me, the black widow. And as I started to call them forth, I started to see what real power is. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Ephraim Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And on today's episode, we're wrapping up Boys for Pele. This album was really about um, finding my own flame, my own fire, and not trying to get it through the relationships in my life. The idea that when I wasn't behind the piano, um, I didn't feel like I had anything in my own being. My woman's worth was intrinsically tied to how the men in my life saw me. I'm talking about the men that I was um, intimate with. And um, it was really hmm, a journey. Pele. Um, I feel good. I feel accomplished, proud. I mm-hmm. feel like rejuvenated and exhausted at the same time, if that's possible. Well, it was a journey. It was a journey. I feel like I've gotten to know myself. I've paired my sensuality with my intellectual my woman, my sensual woman with my intellectual woman. I've paired them together finally. Beekeeper is going to be a walk in the park for it, you then. Yeah, totally. You're like, I'm I can already, teach this class. I'm already sensual. <laughs> We're here to talk about Pele as a whole. A donut hole. You know, we like to do a wrap-up episode after every half season, you know, after the album and then after the B-sides. We like to do a wrap-up episode just to pick up on the things that we missed and to give a voice to all the people who've written in over the season with their thoughts on the episodes and their thoughts on the songs. That's why we do these wrap-ups. So we're going to be reading a lot of comments that we've gotten over the last 15 years that it's taken us to get through Boys for Pay. Golly. Well, a good 15 months, probably. Yeah, right? it's been longer. It's been almost two years. Um, but I'm happy to be back in the Drive All Night studios with you, David. Me too. You look divine. Explain to the people what you're wearing. What? Why? <laughs> David is wearing... <laughs> I'm wearing corduroys. Corduroys with my favorite of his boots. Oh, yeah. And an olive sweater. So, earth tones. Yeah. I'm feeling muted. Muted and wintry. Now that Pele is over. Yeah. These aren't kind of Pele colors. I feel like I match the album cover. Oh, you do? Kind of. I wouldn't be out of place sitting up there with my shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> so we should just get started it's gonna be we have a lot to say we have a lot of people commenting on this i season. know let's get into it 
On today's episode, we're going to be, we'll have two interviews. We have a conversation with Ian Lewandowski. He's a photographer out, out of New York, works out of New York, and he's going to be talking to us about his thoughts on the professional widow controversy. Oh, Meaning the Courtney Love controversy. God, don't say that <laughs> name here. Sorry. We also have an interview with one of our researchers, Shay Steinmack. She was in town to go to Disneyland with her family and popped into the Drive All Night Studios to record just a cute little interview that we did Saturday morning. <laughs> My hair was a fright that day, so we didn't get a, a, a photograph. Was she on her way to or from Disneyland? On her way from Disneyland. Oh, okay. Yeah. I overslept, too. It's <laughs> horrible. But we'll be playing that interview later during the Donut Song portion of our show. Um, I would like to say thank you to all our new Patreon supporters. We couldn't do it without your support. And we'd like to say thank you to Sarah Claus, Nicole Green, Ashley Osterer, Brandon Valenzio, Laura Crum, and Allison DeLine. And we'd also like to say thanks to Dan Verdeja and Steph M for upping their pledge. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the family. Run it in the family. We got to take a big family picture for our next Christmas card. Mm. We should do a little housekeeping before we get started, maybe. Housekeeping. Housekeeping. For those of you who don't realize, we have a new show, a new daily show. Want to talk a little bit about it, David? Yeah. So we have a new daily show called Never Shut Up because... We never do. We don't. And um, primarily, we just wanted to be like a little pick-me-up for you to start your day. We're going to pull a Tory song um, and give you kind of a message for the day. Divination, if yes. you will. David's daily divination from the Torical. Come to life. <laughs> so the songs have been speaking to us, and they're getting louder because they have a message for us every day. Every day. So we have a message from the songs, whatever song we happen to choose that day. And we also have a breaking Tory news when it happens to hit, which it has been, believe it or not. It's been hot so, off the presses. Yeah. So we're going to be there with you every day, hopefully to start your morning. That's the intention. So, so if you're not already listening to Never Shut Up, you can find it anywhere you can find this podcast. You can find it on iTunes. SoundCloud, find it, subscribe, write a review, give us a five-star rating, and then more important than all of that, tell your friends. Mm. Tell all your Tory friends. Post it in the communities, post it on the Facebooks, post it on the Instagrams, post it on the Twitters. Spread it like a zombie plague. Spread it like a word of mouth disease. (laughs) Is that a thing? Spread it like foot and mouth disease. (laughs) Spread it like foot and mouth disease. Spread it like a foot and mouth disease. Oh, man. But yeah, Never Shut Up will be there for you every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday, every business day, because we're business ladies. You know what it is? Spread it like ears with feet disease. That's what we were missing. (laughs) there's no cure oh i like that that should be our tagline (laughs) because there's no cure and for those of you who don't know this we also have another show called tour all night which is currently on hiatus because we're not on tour but we have a monthly installment of that show that we call tour all year where we interview a member of the touring community Uh, and this month we interviewed maria carullo who's been touring since the 90s over 350 shows uh, it was a really great conversation. It really made me remember why I love touring so much. And she was, her excitement was infectious. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you can listen to that right away. And sometimes we publish the old ones to the regular feed, but that'll be, who knows when we'll do that. Tour All Night, you can subscribe to that. You can subscribe to Never Shut Up. You can subscribe to Drive All Night. It's going off in 2019. Yeah. A daily show and new episodes every week of either Drive All Night or Tour All Night. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be revisiting little earthquakes too. Mm-hmm. So, jeez, I'm exhausted just <laughs> listening to you talk. I know we're going to get you to 2020. We we're going to have so much content you won't even know that Tori didn't put out an album this right. year. You won't even notice. <laughs> 
I bet she thanks us for that. And one last bit of housekeeping that I'm very excited about. You may have noticed this already, but if you haven't, on our website, www.songsoftoryamos.com, you can head there now, and if you click on our supporters, a drop-down menu will come up, and it's everybody who's supported us on Patreon. Anyone who has supported us on Patreon gets a supporter page. And we do you guys remember the old Ears with Feet photo album from The Dent? Of course. Submit your Tory pictures and your pictures with Tory and your meet-and-greet pictures. Well, that's what we're recreating. That's what we're trying to recreate. So every supporter has a page for pictures, a Tory bio. They fill out a questionnaire with like Tory stats, like your favorite song, your favorite video, your favorite live performance, your favorite televised performance, whether you're team noun or team noun, team band or team solo. Don't roll your eyes I'm at me. not taking the bait. Fine. <laughs> he didn't take no. the bait. I was expecting him to. He's a more evolved human in 2019. <sighs> She's serious. I'm just, you She's know, I was tones. focused on this Tory, Tory fan registry. Yeah. Do you think people can use it as a personal site? Like if yeah, you're looking for a I Tory so. date? Yeah. Is there anyone out there who's still single? Or are we all too old? Um, I'm Is single? everyone just wow. paired up or have <laughs> given up? <laughs> I can't believe you've just said that to my face. Sorry. Is there anyone out here who's still single? Or do everybody finally pair up in our old age? Was that my tone? Still single and looking. <laughs> so anyway, if you're a supporter you can, at any level, you get a page on the yeah. Ears of Feet photo album. You get a supporter Tory profile. And they're really awesome. And it's really cool to get to know people. So that's happening. That's all the housekeeping. And let's get to the wrap up. Woman. Becoming a woman. Episode 0300 was our primer, our Boys for Pele primer. You remember that, David? <laughs> I, I was primed. We pulled a lot of quotes this season. So many. A, a lot of quotes this season. But these are the quotes that somehow... Didn't make it into the season. They slipped through our cracks. <laughs> From a piano liner notes, Tori says, I do not know where I would be if I had not made Boys for Pele. I firmly believe it's the reason I'm sitting here making music in the way that I am today. Which, amazing, right? Mm. What do you think of that? I'm a little surprised to hear her say that because it seems like, I'll say in recent years, but even at this point in 2006, she was trying to distance herself from the album a little mm. bit. So she acknowledges that it was kind of a pivotal moment in her career still. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you like she was definitely trying to distance herself from the album it seems by not putting anything on to venus and back still orbiting by not putting anything on tales of a librarian really that's what we mean by distancing but what i take as the heart of this quote is that she wouldn't be making music in the way she is today as the producer as the sole producer responsible with the ownership of the masters i agree with that um she kind of i'll say proved herself to her label or whatever so after that point she really had sort of unfettered creative freedom but this is not a commentary on the content of that album and what it meant to her creatively or as an artist i don't think i don't think so either. yeah unfortunately because i'd love to hear her talk more I about know. that i can't imagine making boys for pele be i feel as... like we just did honestly <laughs> <laughs> being so raw and you're right we did make boys for pele and i listened through every episode that we've recorded and guess what david i've learned a lot <laughs> i've learned so much about boys for pele just from listening to our episodes stuff that i forgot but i can't imagine making boys for pele something so painful something so raw and naked and not wanting to distance yourself from that mm. time i was hurting then i'm no longer hurting 
I don't necessarily want to go back and listen to me wailing. I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. Just hearing the way you were talking just now. The way you were talking. God, you kiss your mother with that mouth. It made me think of, have you heard the term um, vulnerability hangover? No, I haven't, but I get it. I've been thinking about that because, in part because of the work that we're doing on this show, but because I have my own podcast now, and just thinking back on other projects that I've worked on, when you put yourself out into the world and a piece of yourself and something that feels so personal and that means a lot to you, you sort of forget that other people are going to be, however they're going to be consuming it or experiencing it, and then you kind of like, ooh, that's why I don't let it hang over. Tori, I mean, how do you think she feels at a certain point when she releases this album any album, but Boys for Pele specifically, since that's what we're talking about, Into the World, do you think she's ever like, oh my God, I can't believe that I've shared all of this. And now Probably. I also have to talk about it ad nauseum. And No, I think she was happy to talk about it. Like mm. that press cycle seemed very, she was very proud of herself as a producer, very proud of herself as an artist. I think she was really happy to talk about it. Maybe looking back on it. I don't think she regrets it. I can't imagine that she No, would. not regret. But again, it's vulnerability is, there could not be a more apropos word for how one would feel. Not only putting this album together and being in the creative cocoon, but then knowing that other people are going to be listening to it and asking you questions and then performing it every night. So Vulnerability hangover. Yeah. That's why I don't let anyone spend the night. And why you drink a lot of Gatorade. And this quote is about the title, Boys for Pele. This is an interview in Take to the Sky fanzine issue nine. Steve Jenkins says... I want to ask you about the album title, Boys for Pele. How did you come across Pele? And Tori says, Well, I went to Hawaii during the Under the Pink tour. I fled for five days. I fled the tour and I just went there. And I started hearing stories about Pele and how she was this volcano goddess who obviously doesn't burn her fingers when she lights a match. She's made quite an impression on the Hawaiian people over the centuries. I get that there's a lot of passion in her, and that's what I was searching for. That's what I wanted to claim. There are a lot of old myths about Pele, and I think if you go to Hawaii, you'll maybe have access to certain writings about her that you don't have here. To me, it really dominates the whole feeling over there, the energy of Pele. I wasn't even on the big island where she is, and I just felt this undulating woman not worried about what anybody thinks of her. And that really attracted me. The woman. The woman. The woman. This is from a New Musical Express, 16th December, 1995. My relationship finished during the end of the tour. I was writing in the sound checks, in the bathroom, and in the middle of the show. It's very strange when people break up because they don't want to be together anymore. You break open the champagne and say, see you later. But it's different when you just can't be together. I think when you're with a soulmate, it's not just somebody who you're hanging out with to blow time with. But you wake up one morning and you're making these gingerbread muffins for breakfast and you're dropping razor blades in them to just see how he reacts. You have to pull back and say, hang on a minute. And that's really where the record stems from. It's being a woman alone and not being able to hide behind anybody else's personality. I steal fire from a lot of the men in my life, and that makes it fairly difficult and bloody. I didn't allow myself to get angry, and I needed to do that before I could kind of sit across the table and say, Okay, baby, I'll make a margarita without using a lethal alcohol. So I put that in our show notes, and these these show notes were compiled mostly by Shay Stymack, one our one of our researchers on our team. But I put that quote in there primarily to talk about the razor blades in the gingerbread muffin. I guessed as much. Okay. So I said razor blades and biscuits. But that's the quote that I was trying to access in my head when I said that. Razor blade and biscuits. And David won't let me live it down. And also gingerbread muffins. Who makes gingerbread muffins? That's not a thing. Is that <laughs> not a thing? <laughs> razor blades and muffins. Gingerbread cookies, sure. But gingerbread muffins, I don't know. Anyhow, so Tori does put razor blades in things. That's all. Mm. Episode 0301, we dove into beauty queen horses. We treated them as one track like Tori. You know, we follow her blueprint. 
I it's guess her record. a few people had a problem with that, including our Pele baby, right? <laughs> our Pele baby was furious. So mad. And in fact... Like, Screw you, mom and dad. You don't understand me. We didn't meet the Pele baby until Blood Roses. We didn't have him on. So we thought we would start with a little treat and play his thoughts on horses slash beauty queen. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Boys for Pele. Baby. <laughs> so... Beauty Queen slash Horses. I see the songs as separate entities, but I understand the fusing of them, so I'll speak of them just as a incorporated sense. I think that the opening of Beauty Queen is so haunting. I love the sound that just flickers in the back during that song and this kind of feeling of isolation as if we're just staring at ourselves in a mirror is a really good reflection, if you can excuse the pun, of what we're going to see going on in the rest of this album, the kind of exploration we're going to take internally, externally. I think Beauty Queen really just is haunting in such a good way that sets all your expectations for the album. And then moving forward into the bulk of horses, I've always found the song to be so adventurous and beautiful, and I think I'd say it's easily the most fantastical on the album. You really have this kind of mystical journey through the scape with the most wordplay, these odd beings and objects that exist almost in a um, sort of Alice in Wonderland format, referencing things as different as the film Silkwood to Superfly. There's just this kind of hodgepodge sense in the song that you're really going through something, you're going past things that are physical but have personal meaning, and it's a really interesting soundscape to ride through. I'm always captivated by the very end of As Long As Your Army Keeps Perfectly Still. That's such a good fade-in as a repeat descending into the bulk of Pele. like when your son goes away to college and he finally writes you for the first time <laughs> dropped us a postcard i know he just wanted money anyway i thought horses was a good episode i thought we paved the way we went down into the underworld um but there are a couple of things that we have to comment on okay we got a lot of feedback that we hadn't made the connection between my sweet beanbag in the street and her best friend, Beanie. Now, we did make that connection, but we left it on the cutting room floor because that episode was already approaching two and a half hours. So it was, we left it on the cutting room floor and I couldn't regret it more because we got at least three or four comments about it. Half a half dozen comments about the connection between the beanbag. And I agree, I thought it was a reference to Beanie or a Beanie type figure, like a girlfriend. I love that Beanie has become an archetype. She's a Beanie-like figure. She's a sweet beanbag <laughs> yeah. in the street. But something is bound to slip past us at a certain point. That's no excuse. But I do think it's kind of a good thing because this show is supposed to be a conversation too. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of yeah. nice when people can write in and comment on something or point out on something that we might have missed because it's going to happen. And throughout this season, and you'll see this on this episode, we have a, had a lot of people give us their thoughts and a lot of my opinions have changed or a lot of perspectives that I had never thought of before yeah. uh, are presented here today. Mm -hmm. So you want to read one of these quotes? I do. How about Take to the Sky fanzine issue 10? Go for on it. On horses. Tori and Neil remain in constant contact, even when they're on opposite sides of the world. Neil told us how it is not an uncommon occurrence to receive a call from her in the early hours of the morning pleading with him to tell her a bedtime story. In return, Tori will call and sing her new song over the telephone. From one such call stems Neil's choice of his favorite Tori song. He recollects the time when Tori was in the midst of writing the Boys for Paley album when she called to get his opinion on a new song. Tori sang Horses a cappella 
improvising the then-unfinished lyrics with La La La's, Neil expressed his instant liking for the song. It's almost like a lullaby. I often sing it to Maddie on nights when she's in her bed to send her off to sleep. Such is the beauty of this tune. Upon expressing his immediate approval of the unfinished composition to Tori, she replied, Okay, Neil, you can be in that one. He was in no doubt that Horses is his favorite song. Not the album version, but the one Tori first sang over the telephone. What a hipster. He's like, oh, you like the album version? I like the acapella version without lyrics. I like the secret live version. That was. What part of the song do you think she la 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 when she called him? Probably the Neil make me a tree part. Because yeah. she said you can be in that one. So future tense. Yeah. It could have been la 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 la, super fly, shoppy pen. <laughs> Also, the melody changed, apparently, because that sounded nothing like horses. I want to say when I was younger and I heard that In Conversation disc, you know, with the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a series of 96 interviews where she goes from radio station to radio station to radio station. And there's one point where the guy's like, can we have your album? Let, let me just play it. One of the, th- the things I wanted to ask you about is, uh, uh, would you, would you, uh, could you set up with, with your people to give us, to give us this record first? Um, your new album? You know, you can't talk to me about that because I don't get involved in that side of things. Huh? Okay, well, you I, know, I don't know that how that whole side of things works. Yeah, but you know something? Hmm. Here I am, a disc jockey, hmm. and if I, even though I don't know much about how the music industry works, if I, if one of somebody called up and said, Charles, can you get me the new Smashing Pumpkins album or something? I bet I could get it for him. I mean, oh, I don't want it. I don't want to, like, you know, really, like, put pressure on you or anything. Charles, like, yeah. are you blackmailing me, babe? <laughs> <laughs> don't try it. I've got a boozy, and I'm going to be in a Formula One soon. I think I can handle this. But, so, have you been given the single? What have you been given? We have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. Okay, so just, okay. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Call a light snitch. Call a light bridge. Call a light wave. Lightning seed Boys on my left side Boys on my right side Boys in the middle And you're not here I need a big loan From the girl's own building Tumbling down didn't know our love was so small Couldn't stand it out Mr. St. John, just bring your son So at that point when she sang a cappella Caudalite's Knees, I was kind of floored at that moment. Like how, what a special thing that she's singing a cappella over the phone. Like it's beautiful, you know, it's mm. like a little, with no music, it was just really beautiful to me at that time. How would you feel if Tori had you on speed dial for when she had insomnia? I'd and she was calling I, you every night like, I, Eve, I can't sleep. Will you tell me a story? <laughs> I would. I don't have. I don't <laughs> sleep either. I'd probably be awake already. Tell me that one about Bentley Helms. <laughs> Once upon a time, back in Bentley Helms. <laughs> I do want to bring up something else that happened on that episode. We played a cover of Horses by a really cool band that I really liked called Felix in the Future, but we didn't give him credit on the show. We never said the band name. And he emailed us 
and said, yes, you can absolutely use my cover. And then we did, and then we forgot to say his name. So the band is Felix in the Future, and we're going to play a little bit of, of it here. And here's the thing about Felix in the Future. He has a line of ponchos, but like a fashion line of ponchos that look like Letterman jackets. I've never seen anything like it hmm. in my entire life. I'm obsessed with them. If anybody wants to buy me one, I wouldn't say no to it. Large. Felixandthefuture.com slash ponchos. <laughs> the black rainbow is my favorite, but you should go to Felixandthefuture.com slash ponchos and just take a look at them because they're insane. And do it right now while you're listening to this cover of Horses. feel about horses being described as a lullaby neil has referenced it as such in a couple interviews and maybe a few other people have too i find that an odd choice of an odd word to use to describe horses frankly i I agree probably i think of horses as the beginning of a descent so it's like i can't go to sleep now i'm going into the underworld it's the last time i want to fall asleep gotta keep my wits about me i guess a lullaby seems like something gentle and lilting that obviously you sing to a baby to go to sleep (laughs) i mean i guess you could be singing your baby into a nightmare with horses but yeah and that instrumental movement at the beginning that to me is sort of the musical moment of diving off the cliff into the underworld and you kind of hit bottom with those low that is not a lullaby and if you've ever listened to it on a dark rainy night driving i've done that and people in my car have commented this is scary (laughs) i'm like well that's why (laughs) i love it i know they are weak um i do want to discuss something else that we received several emails about and apparently it's my thirst for gavin bradley (laughs) i was told i was thirsty is that gavo yeah or as i call him handsome gavo right oh my god we never heard the end of it (laughs) That's why his interview was unedited and like three hours long. Hey! (laughs) Becoming a woman. Dealing with a woman. In episode 0302, we took our descent down into the underworld, wandered the streets of an underworld New Orleans with blood roses. We had Yanta on. First appearance of Paul Roy. First appearance of Paul Roy. It's a collector's item. 
This quote comes from music, and we left out a lot of things. I mean, it's hard. People tell us you need to edit yourselves. We edit so much, it's impossible. But um, there are certain things you have to include. If you're creating a time capsule for a song, we have to have a time capsule that's complete. Otherwise, it's not a time capsule. Yeah, have you ever heard of leftovers? You don't have to eat everything at once. Oh, Come back to it. I love Put leftovers. us in the fridge. We'll wait. For Music Week UK, on December 16th, 1995, Tori says about Blood Roses, she says, The boy-girl dynamic is not uncomplicated. When you're aiming to please and you want it to work, you can turn yourself into anything. A grain of corn? I think that's a really meaningful quote. And that I wish we'd said on the episode because it sparked this whole descent. She's someone she doesn't recognize. She's not herself. She's being what he wants her to be or what she thinks she should be or nothing at all. The way you'll let someone treat you? Yeah. Oprah says, you teach people how to treat you. You accept the love you think you deserve. All of these things. But it's true. And there's almost, almost a line from Motor Maids in this quote. Really? She says, the things that I'd turn into. Oh, right? Yeah. Wow. From launch.com, 1996. Launch says, you also play the harpsichord, right? Tori responds, yeah, it was tricky to learn the harpsichord. I haven't had the time to practice and I have to get my chops back or it's going to be quite embarrassing. It's a difficult instrument. It's quite demanding. It takes so much skill for me anyway. It's really challenging for me to pull it off. But at the same time, it's thrilling because it's never like, oh, this is a breeze. It's not like that. I think it's like good mountain biking. If you have a good mountain, you can fall off at any time. It's really about your skill that gets you through the mud and over the mountain. I'm not entirely sure that this didn't appear in the season, but I wanted to make sure to include it just in case, because I can't remember if we put it in. What do you think about that, David? Again, I love the fact that just because Tori is uh, a gifted pianist doesn't mean that she can just sit down at another keyboard instrument and play it. She has to really, really work on it. Yeah. Which makes me feel better about my harpsichord skills, which aren't up to snuff. (laughs) Um, This email comes from Eric Williams, who wrote us with a great interpretation of Blood Roses. Eric Williams is one of our most engaged listeners. He writes us his thoughts on the episodes, and we love them. Thank you, Eric, and keep sending them. But on Blood Roses, he says, I wanted to share my thoughts. I love listening to your show. It helps these thoughts to crystallize in a way they never have before. Oh, blush. When she says, back on the street, the life-sucking relationship is over. She's back on the street, back on the prowl. This, I think, is an analogy to what Tori termed her slut phase. When chickens get a taste of your meat girl gives the first clue that the relationship was not a good one for her. It was full of things left unspoken. Maybe he didn't say the things she needed to hear to be fulfilled and satisfied, or maybe he never said, I love you first. I feel like Blood Roses is thinking about how in this relationship she carved out her own sexual side to honor and satisfy his, and now she's off to find it and reclaim it by taking it back from the men that she fucks. And this is the part that Eric wrote that I really, really like. He says about the line, he likes killing you after you're dead. This is how she became the vampire that she is you know how she talks about being a vampire mm-hmm. yeah so he likes killing you after you're dead this is the birth of blood roses the character this makes me think of Anne rice of Anne rice's vampire chronicles where to become a vampire you give your blood to the vampire and then drink it back from them this is also why she feels so much anger she gave these things to him willingly sacrificed her own fulfillment on the altar of his pleasure for him killing her once isn't enough once he's taken her blood and her sacred feminine He needs to kill her again and squash any sense of herself until she is an undead shell. I think this is Blood Roses trying to rationalize the mantle she's placed on her own shoulders. She's given him everything until all that is left is a piece of meat. And if that's all she is, that's all she's going to allow herself to be. So she's back on the street. Then he says, keep up the fantastic work. Can't wait for what comes next. God. Well. I love that. I love that, Eric. That was great. 
Blood Rose is back on the street. Yeah, she's ready to party. She's ready to get it back. Talk about a toxic relationship. I know. That all sounds exhausting. This is from supporter Artie Pavlov regarding his thoughts on Blood Roses. In my head, I think that I think your queer lines are a part of a slightly different scenario, although somewhat close to Ephraim's. One of those cases where after a breakup or a one-night stand, the guy tells everyone, oh, she's a dyke, that's why, which always is a toxic lie. And her response is, well, you're so homophobic and so hateful, so quick to call everyone else a queer, well, I think you're a queer. How do you like that? Burn. I'm sure that's totally incorrect. Stand by with your statements, Artie. We support you. I'm sure that's totally incorrect, but that's what my head cannon is with roses. I sat by Artie on the night in New York City on Native Invader Tour when she played the pool. Oh. I know. I've, I lost my mind, obviously. I stood up, did a full 360. I just stood up. like my, I was compelled out of the seat, turned a full circle, and sat back down. I'm sorry you had to see that, Artie. Oh, Artie loved Eve, it. Eve was doing bliss pirouettes. He just <laughs> couldn't contain himself. Sinclair Sexsmith on Twitter wrote in to say, Wait! Wait! You all didn't talk about the Throat of the Loon reference to the Michael Ondaatje poem in Blood Roses. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Michael Ondaatje is a Sri Lankan-born Canadian poet, fiction writer, essayist, and novelist. He wrote The English Patient. He was born in 1943, and I, as far as I could tell, he wrote this poem in the 60s. Okay, so this is the poem, and this was uh, his, I guess, adaptation of a 5th century poem. Are you ready for this, David? I'm ready. It's called Women Like You by Michael Ondaatje. They do not stir. These ladies of the mountain do not give us the twitch of eyelids. The king is dead. They answer no one. Take the hard rock as lover. Women like you make men pour out their hearts. Seeing you, I want no other life. The golden skins have caught my mind. Who came here out of the bleached land, climbed this fortress to adore this rock? And with a solitude of air behind them, carved an alphabet whose motive was perfect desire. Wanting these portraits of women to speak, to caress. Hundreds of small verses by different hands become one habit of the unrequited. Seeing you, I want no other life. And turn around to the sky and everywhere below jungle, waves of heat, secular love. Holding the new flowers, a circle of first finger and thumb, which is a window to your breast. Pleasure of the skin, earring, earring curl of the belly, and then stone mermaid, stone heart, dry as a flower on rock, you long-eyed women, the golden drunk swan of breasts, lips, the long, long eyes, we stand against the sky, I bring you a flute from the throat of the loon, so talk to me of the used heart. He's really famous, so I bet she probably read that. And oh, of course. Yeah, there's a link. Thanks, Sinclair Sexsmith. And you can follow Sinclair Sexsmith at Mr. Sinclair Sexsmith on Twitter. Thank you. Sometimes we need to be educated so we can pull out of the illusions in Tori's work. Throw Don't even wound. get me started on the range. Oh, wait we, till we get to the I range. Know. We oh, drove ourselves we never crazy. So much feedback as the range. Sometimes the simplest explanation is the right one. <laughs> since we were unable to play any performances of Blood Roses from the Native Invader tour, since it hadn't happened yet, here is the best performance. This is from New Orleans, 2017, where she did a little bit of Blood Roses inside Tom Bigby. Thank you. 
cup of tea with a woman. Father Lucifer. Do you remember that first episode, David, that you did? Complete blur. Really? No, I remember it. Oh. Did you enjoy yourself? Oh my gosh, I was so nervous. Really? Why? I really was. Because I was not comfortable, not that I was being interviewed, but just being recorded or I don't know. I felt the pressure of that and also to deliver because I had such a respect for you and the show that I wanted to do a good job. And also because it's my favorite song, so... I wanted to do it all justice, and it was all just too much for me. I collapsed under the weight of it. <laughs> you didn't collapse. You did a, re a remarkable job. If you were that nervous, really, you didn't show it. But if you were, you've come a long way. I think you do a fantastic job. But I thought that episode was fantastic. We had Val Patterson on that episode. Lucifer's Bones. Lucifer's Bones. We gave away <laughs> the Lucifer's Bones CD with the, the Twitter contest that we held. Ah, oh, it was a great episode. But we did miss some quotes. <laughs> and this quote was from Music Week UK, December 16th, 1995. Tori says, We love to look at the dark from the distance. It was refusing to buy into this concept of don't turn over that stone, just move on. So she refused to buy into the concept of let's just keep it hidden. Mm -hmm. Let's not talk about it. And that's typical Tori. She lifts up that stone, <laughs> takes a magnifying glass, and really just... Sets it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> In an email from Mark Conium, he says, Hi guys, thank you for another great episode with Father Lucifer. I have a thought I wanted to share with you about the line, nothing's going to stop me from floating. Both times she sings that line, it's after a line that could be considered a cut to her ego. First, how's your Jesus Christ been hanging? If that is Lucifer saying it to Tori, it could be interpreted as a sarcastic way of saying, the person who is supposed to be looking after her, hanging with her, obviously isn't. The second comes after he threw away our apple seed, possibly meaning that he gave up on her before she could have a baby with him. After both, she proclaims, nothing's going to stop me from floating. Nothing is going to pull me underwater and drown and kill me. I'm still going to push forward, get my talisman, and finish my journey. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Mark from Atlanta. I met him on tour, too. This next comment comes from Ruth Aurora Aris, and she says, I have some thoughts about the verse with the watercolor stain. I associate this with the verse in Joni Mitchell's A Case of You where she says, I'm a lonely painter. I live in a box of paints. I'm frightened by the devil, and I'm drawn to those who ain't afraid. The devil, Father Lucifer, paint watercolors, and then fear slash flight. I think there are a lot of similar motives here. Anyway, if your shadows are your dark sides, then owning and integrating them will give your colors more depth, make them less watery. I guess. Really deep thoughts. RDT. Thanks for the comment, Ruth. This takes me back to the discussion we were having about all the layers in these songs. And as if that wasn't clear enough, all these comments are just making it clear that we could we could still not be done with this album. We should we do a whole second We could pass. do second episodes for every single one of these songs, and they would probably be as just long, as long, if not longer. Seriously. We'd think that we were really nailing it the second time, so they'd be like <laughs> twice as long. This is from our friend, Emily Cousins, who we met on tour in Seattle. She's on our Seattle episode of Tour All Night, and she says, OMG, 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 you all made my year. Three of y'all singing the Father Lucifer Bridge was delightful. I can't say it's the only comment we've received about that. We received plenty of comments about it. Did you? We did. I wasn't sure if people would hear it because it's the tag at the very, very end of the episode. And it's only for the hardcore listeners. It's like sitting through the credits of a Marvel movie. Exactly. If you walk out, you're going to miss it. So I was unclear on if people even knew that it was there. People have heard it. Mm, people okay, have commented. Good. It's already one of my favorite things when you sing little bits of the songs during the show. And when you alluded that you may do this, I was bouncing around my car seat. Yes, please, please, please. <laughs> and then at the very end, when you thought the show was over, there it was. And it was everything I had dreamed for. One suggestion. 
<laughs> you might think about including the statistic of percentage of times the song was performed on any given tour, along with a number of times. Since tours were really wildly different in how many shows they involved, a ratio percentage would be interesting. Like, oh, she performed Waitress in 20% of her Under the Pink shows, but 82% of Tavinas and Back shows, which is totally made up, but you see where I'm going. I think that's a really good idea, actually, because the tours have wildly varied. Some whole tours have been 49 shows. Some whole tours have been 187 shows, so we're going to start doing that with the Choir Girl season. I think that's a great idea. I also love that she delivered a criticism or a suggestion, but first she primed us with some praise. Like, you guys are amazing, but here's what you should do better. <laughs> that's what you do. You do a compliment sandwich. I know. She's give, got it. Yeah, that's how the per, that's the only way a person can hear criticism. Is I'll eat anything. Serve it to me as a sandwich, a slice of pizza. Don't no. care. You give them a compliment, then a little piece of criticism, and then a compliment at the end. The compliment sandwich. I live by it. You articulated that very well, Eve. Thank you. I wish you'd cleared your throat first. Really? But your hair looks great. Oh, thanks, David. <laughs> anyway, Ian Casey on Twitter, IDKC, said to us, Hey guys, just listening to the Father Lucifer podcast. Lizzie's are also a type of flower. Busy Lizzie's. Could it come from that? P.S. Major deja vu here for some reason. What deja vu do you think he was experiencing? I don't know. He'd written an email to a couple of busy Lizzie's before. P.S. Major deja vu here for some reason. Just kidding. <laughs> Good one. Thanks. Honoring woman. Claiming my woman. In episode 0304, we met the widow. Oh, have you ever met a widow? <laughs> yes. We didn't talk about the fact that when we saw it on the album for the first time, at least I did, I thought it said professional window. You make a better door than a window. <laughs> Can't believe I didn't mention that. Like when the track listing came out, I was like, professional window? I think I can be the only one who did that. When God closes a door, somewhere he opens a professional window. <laughs> That's true. On the professional widow episode, we talked to Johnny D. DeMiro, who revealed secret details about all the remixes and the remix period. He also talked about Valazoli, and I've been trying to get an interview with Valazoli. Valazoli, who we discussed on the Cotolite Sneeze episode, right? He who knew that Tory fans were willing servants yeah. who would spread the <laughs> good word of boys for, disciples, yeah. right? Devoted disciples. Who would spread the good word of Boys for Pele. So. Spread the gospel. He was just Pele. trying to use us. But and we he were knew like, us. And we were like, we're here to be used. Anyone who knows me can use me. <laughs> we're just vessels for you. <laughs> but he also talked about the remix album. And on the episode prior on Father Lucifer, King Britt had mentioned that there was a dat tape in existence of the remix album. But Johnny DeMiro confirmed there was never a dat, that he had like a cassette tape he made of all the mixes that he had which were like the two professional widows, the Gabo horses, the silkscreen Lucifer, and I'm guessing the Robbie Tronco way down, which we were never able to locate. And probably maybe a Tallulah and maybe the Voodoo. That's a nut. That's the remix album right there. Yeah, We've heard the whole seriously. thing. Seriously. Basically. Give us Agent Orange and we're set. <laughs> Can you imagine a hot dance mix of Marianne? T -t tuna, tuna, rubber, rubber, rubber. <laughs> that's like dub. <laughs> David, you can do a mean dubstep. <laughs> It was also the episode where we spoke most about Courtney Love. Boring. Yes. Yawn. Bring um, a book. I don't think we said anything bad. I don't think I said anything bad no, at all. No, I'm kidding. However, we got 
a message from Ian Lewandowski on our Twitter. He's a photographer based in New York City. Uh, and he says on our Twitter, he said, listening to Professional Widow right now, I have always had a complicated relationship with this song because I'm a diehard Team Courtney person and also a Tory file. I don't think they, I didn't know that there was, I didn't think you could. I don't, yeah, I don't think that's possible. I, it's but, like being a decent human being and also someone who likes Enigma. Just so. <laughs> I think it's important to acknowledge that Under the Pink as a whole is about the problematics of women who betray other women or throw them under the bus. Professional Widow has always, given this context, felt to me like sort of a low blow. Like, I expect Tori to take the high road in most situations. I would have loved more talk on the themes of Under the Pink the previous album, in the context of this song. But very thorough, and I'm glad to have heard the quote from her about Francis Bean's custody. I can see her complicated anger and compassion in there. Also thinking about songs like Softer Softest, which are very transparently about the same themes. Anyway, enjoying the show a lot so far, and would love to guest if you needed a spot. Well, guess what? We need a spot. Your dreams have come true. Oliver, get Ian on the line. Well, I'm here with Ian Lewandowski, who in his real life is a photographer based out of New York, but in his Tory life, he's a Courtney Love stan, if you can believe it. Hi, Ian. Hi. Listening back to the Professional Widow episode, we a big hole that I felt was in the episode is we did not include any Courtney Love stands. So we were very happy to get your message because it kind of fills in a perspective that we never actually considered. So you requested more talk and you've got it. So did that cover kind of everything that you were thinking? Yeah, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm also thinking about a specific like song by Hole that like sort of addresses these same things. Okay. But yeah, I can get to that later. I don't think the song is like, you know, like this person, like I was hurt by this person, therefore I'm making like a diss track. I don't right. think it's like a diss track necessarily. Right. I think maybe Tori like knows that it's veiled in that, like it's veiled in the like language of a diss track. But I think it is this, I mean, like thinking about the rest of the album, which represents like a whole plethora of different energies or different um, kind of stances on these things. I, I do think it's kind of like she's sort of in character, mm. um, which I think you sort of talk about in the episode near like more near the end. Right. Well, because reading your tweet, my first thought was it's not really in her mind. I mean, whether it's true or not, what she says to the press, we have only ever gotten. It's not about Courtney Love. It's about, you know, this widow. It's about that piece that's within us. So she's kind of singing even from that perspective. Right. Which I think like that's a good representation for like, you know, at least like the first half of the album where I think she's really channeling this more like aggressive more seductive figure i guess in my tweets i didn't really want to say like she has to you know have the same point of view as she did in the last album because i think in a lot of ways similarly to like someone like pj harvey i think she kind of takes on a whole different identity like her album it's interesting though i feel i think you're right as far as pj harvey goes because each album is so different you know and, and same with Tori, each album is really different, but I think that Tori's like, I, and maybe that's just because we're so hardcore and we know so much, but I look at it as like an evolution and she's taking this experience of Under the Pink and bringing it to Pele and taking that and bringing it to Choir Girl. So in that yeah. way, I, I do agree with you that if this were a straight up diss track that there would be some accountability that she'd have to have for the Under the Pink mindset that she, you know, spoke of the, the war between women and, and sisterhood and all of that. My question to you, and, I, and this is not a confrontation, so please don't take it this way, but the quotes that we used in our episode from Courtney Love, and I'm, 
I'm speaking specifically of the quote where she says, you want to know why Kurt killed himself? It's because of that awful Tori Amos yep. track. And then later yeah. we used a quote in the episode where she said, at least now I'm not the professional widow. So she right. seems to yeah. be taking stabs at Tori even 20 years later more than Tori would ever reference Courtney in the press. And that's what I'm wondering. So you go on to say in your tweet, I, I can see her complicated anger and compassion in there talking about Tori. And then you say also thinking about songs like Softer Softest, which I'm assuming is a whole song, which is very transparently about the same theme. So talk to us about Softer Softest. Okay. Um, so like Softer Softest is a song that was rumored to be about a confrontation with another woman. It's actually very similar to the whole kind of message of Under the Pink, which is I expect to be betrayed by a man. Like how could it be that I'm betrayed by a woman? Like that kind of just like dealing with the, or the negotiation of that. Mm. I guess what I was trying to say there is like, I think Courtney is thinking about those same kind of things, like those same kind of complicated notions of kind of discrepancies between like two women that are obviously like under a patriarchy or under like a, yeah. So. Well, I appreciate that. I feel though Professional Widow is our most uh, listened to episode, certainly from this season, but I think of all time. Um, so I think there's a lot of people interested in this particular subject matter, the Tory v. Courtney thing. I seems to me that Courtney has a lot more problems with women throughout her yeah. career than Tori, but I'm not here to judge. I'm certainly happy to put this to rest. Do you have anything else you'd like to say in defense of Courtney Love? I think with her, it's like I kind of, it's one of those things, she's like a problematic phase kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. I, in some respects, like I'm like, she can do no wrong. But obviously, like, you know, that comes with a grain of salt, I guess. I just, I look at Courtney's life and her career like and I just I can't help but have a lot of like empathy for Courtney just thinking about you know regardless of her actions I do think there's a lot of like mental health stuff going on there so I think it's it's one of those things where I like I don't think it's just oh she's crazy right um well I definitely have empathy for Courtney Love <laughs> she is a figure unlike any other yeah. that's for sure I've known my fair share of you know garbage angels as I call them in my life I call myself a garbage angel and I just hope someone loves me in my worst moments <laughs> So I hope someone loves Courtney in her worst moments. Same with Tori. Same with you. Same with me. Um, but Ian, thank you so much for the talk. You can follow Ian on Twitter at Lilith underscore fair and fair spelled like Liz Fair, P-H-A-I-R. Who would win in a fight, Tori or Courtney? Just kidding. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> good night, Ian. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, good night. Bye. I hope this is the right number. I'm trying to win a contest in which I have to sing a song called Mr. Zebra in the style of someone else. And I'm going, and I apologize in advance, to sing this as Louis Armstrong singing Hello Dolly while also singing Mr. Zebra. <clears throat> Hello Zebra, well hello Zebra. I need your sweater, it's so much wetter and cold Down in my hole, my furry muscles you're using Miss Crocodile's confusing Ratatouille is strict, not for you, your mind will go kablooey So, we'll helm the Kaiser Zebra I'm still none the wiser, Zebra. Tell me what this crazy song's about. I may not have said who I am, 
I'm Pat, and I'm sorry. Well, here we are, track five, Mr. Zebra. Another one of my faves, because even though I'd guessed it on the show, this was my first official episode, kind of, sort of. Yeah. But I was straddling Zebra and Marianne yeah. <laughs> somewhere in the middle there. You it are. all came together. And I just never left, I guess. Lucky you. Lucky everyone. So Fag Enabler, at Fag X Enabler, what do you think he means by that? Said to us on Twitter, at Songs of Tori Amos, that's us, got me thinking. And in Mr. Zebra, I always thought the strychnine part of Ratatouille strychnine was an LSD drug reference. And the whirlpool was your brain feeling the incomings that were about to blow your mind. K thanks, bye. Interesting take. What do you think? I can see it. This is your brain. This is your brain on zebra. Any questions? I don't have any. It's a whirlpool. Woman. Fragment of woman. Come on, pigtails. Here's a little more from our friend Emily Cousins, or Cousin, and her thoughts on Marianne. She says... Interesting idea with the beginning being a sex reference, and tuna rubber is pretty undeniably sex-related words, but I just can't get on board. A song harkening back to childhood and about a friend's death. A sexual reference lead-in just doesn't fit. That said, no idea otherwise. The blubber in my igloo always implied to me trying to keep yourself warm, especially if feeling cold on the inside. The she-was-so-pretty part, I pictured how when people die like that, how many people who say things with the sentiment, what a shame, she was so pretty... Or she was so pretty, why would she do that? As if being pretty is all that matters. Or, as if you guys referenced, you can't have inner demons if you're pretty. Loved Ephraim pointing out Old Deep Ravine. Very interesting. Come on, pigtail girls and all you sailors, get your bags and hold down. Won't you just hold down? This, to me, is a plea to stay strong. Hold on. Don't go down that deep ravine. Don't kill yourself. And I think the repetition of hold down three times and the entrance of the strings there gives so much power to that plea. I agree. I think we said that on the show, but I definitely agree with that interpretation. What do you think, David? Agreed. And I think we said something about kind of the storm of impending adulthood, too, and sort of, you know, hunkering down to weather that. So. Mm-hmm. Margarine woman. Not butter, babe. Woman. On the Cotolite Sneeze episode, oh, I loved that episode. Uh, we spoke to Valerie Naranjo. We spoke to Mike Lipscomb. We had a lot of fun on that episode, I thought. We did. We did. We I remember to, it very, very clearly. We went to Pele's Court. Oh, that was fun. We went to El Pollo Loco. <laughs> After. Yeah. <laughs> um, we failed miserably at including every single quote about Tori and Mrs. Song called Light Sneeze. There were so many. And here's another one that we left out. From Music Week UK on December 16th, 1995. Tori says, the first single from the album, I'm hoping that this work is multi-leveled. Hopefully you smell and feel what it's like to be the vampire. What do you think of that quote? I think, as we've discussed, ad nauseum, Tori really excels at creating a world Mm -hmm. in each of these songs. So Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like we walk into something that's Mm multi-leveled. Whether or not I taste and smell what it feels like to be a vampire, I can't say for me personally, but... I feel what it's like to be a vampire for some reason when she's pushing and pulling and being pushed and pulled on the chair in the video. You love that. I do love that. And I feel like the desperation and need to cling and hold on for dear life to something that wants to get away from you or is trying to leave you. I feel that in that video. And in that way, I can see and smell and taste the vampire. So that's what I get out of that quote. 
I love that. And this is one of the rare or maybe the, the most successful instance where the visual piece, the visual component and representation of this song, both in terms of the album art and the video, really um, reflected how the song felt. Yeah, because you me. do feel that when looking at that mattress yep. picture. Is that what you're talking about? Love it. Yeah. yeah. Malaria. Malaria mm. on the page. On that dirty mattress. Ew. <laughs> this is from the New York Times. Sunday, January 14th, 1996 by Ann Powers. Ms. Amos treats the piano and harpsichord as living beings and her body as the link between them. Tori says, it's not about being subservient, but it's not about being in control either. I'm lying between the two instruments metaphorically and letting myself know they carry a code. What does that mean? Carry a code. Like there is a way to unlock them, the mystery. That might be another way of saying that the songs exist and that she's just translating them Mm. and that... You know, she's deciphering the code mm-hmm. of the song or through through the instrument that they hold their own their own code, especially the harpsichord, because she's talked a lot about how that was about like tracing the bloodline of the piano and going back to find the woman. Well said, David. We also can't play every single live version that she's ever done of every song. Otherwise, this show would be even longer than it already is. And you know it's what? It's pretty sorry. long. Yeah, you know, listening back, there's one thing. I'm not sure we gave those live 96 performances their due. Not in the sense that we should have played more of them, but I don't think we really dove into the choices that she made um, in terms of how she was going to perform that song Mm -hmm. on that tour. And just, it was so crazy. Like, I know, I'll almost do this part a cappella and use my body for percussion. Oh my God, how amazing was that though, right? Yeah. And I was thinking of putting the damage on when you raised the issue of like, this was a potential single. What if she'd, you know, played along to the brass arrangement? And then we totally didn't discuss, yeah, but she played the lead single, her most popular single really to date every night. And it sounded nothing like it did on the album or on the radio. It was this totally stripped down, bizarre, repetitive reinvention where she hit herself in the chest and then screeched her way from one side of the show to the other. It was amazing. Like we that? explode in applause, rapturous <laughs> applause. Yeah. Um, I loved that. Yeah. So much that 22 years later, I find myself doing a podcast about it in a state of shock to read on some mailing lists as I was doing research this season, there were a few comments where people were like, she didn't even play it right. Like it, it was slowed down and I I like the live the album version better. Like people were upset that she was doing that. At least a few people were. I couldn't believe it. I thought that was amazing. I thought like, wow, wow. Those are iconic performances. And maybe we're, <laughs> we're a little too generous with the term iconic on this show. But if I had to choose things that represent that era and that tour, those performances of that song yeah. would be on the list for sure. Do I prefer the studio version? And is that the definitive version for me? Absolutely. But those were still crazy. But the definitive live version. Yeah. Those were defining moments of Tori's live career, in my opinion. I loved that arrangement yeah. of that song. Let's play one. Let's just play one from 96 that we didn't play. Okay. Okay, I don't know which one, but let's just throw it in. Oliver, just pick something. Pick something from your iTunes most played Cotolite Sneezes. Oh, 
Um, and now another version of Cod Light Sneeze from Indianapolis 2001. This is a special request by one of our supporters, Christian Hurley. In episode 0308, we took on the Abrahamic God. And we also questioned why the hell Take to the Sky was paired with Muhammad, my friend. And Shay Stymack, one of our researchers, wrote us this note. She opens with a combined quote. She writes, I just want a little passion to hold me in the dark. I know I've got some magic buried deep in my heart. Sweet, sweet, sweet between the boys and the bees. All of these things she's been told by people, let's assume that they're all men, priest, father, doctor, that she can't do or that she's been doing wrong. In the end, it means absolutely nothing because she's got this magic buried deep in her heart. And the magic is that she, and now we, know it was a girl back in Bethlehem. That girl is the magic. On that fateful day when she was crucified could be the same day that she's had enough of the naysaying, the same day in which she finally tells them to have a seat while I take to the sky. Pairing these two songs together might just be one of Tori's biggest fuck yous to the patriarchy. Teach me how to love my brothers who don't know the law. Those brothers might be the priest, father, doctor characters who haven't been behaving in her. And like the Bible says, God is unconditionally loving, so if God is the girl back in Bethlehem, she would find a way to forgive and love them in spite of their disbelief in her. And she is the law. Both of these characters are one and the same. Because of the events that take place and take to the sky, the girl has a soul uprising of sorts and is reborn as the goddess back in Bethlehem. I love it. Thanks, Shay. And can we just acknowledge the gift that was Bentley Helms? We can, absolutely. <laughs> Let's play it. Muhammad, my friend, it's time to tell the world. We both know it was a girl back in Bentley Helms. And on that faithful day, she was crucified. 
She washed her stain on dress, and we drank tea by her side. It was sweet, sweet, sweet. You used to be so sweet to me, well. Muhammad, my friend, I'm getting very scared. Teach me how to love my brothers who don't know the law. What about the years? On flying jet bees, you got a peanut butter hand. My honey do drop in at the do drop off. I said, sweet, sweet. What do you think of Bentley Helms? Oh my God, I can't get enough Bentley Helms. Bentley Helms. She haunts me. In a good way. <laughs> I go running out of the shower for my tape recorder to try to record what she says. Just make sure you don't run past a professional window. <laughs> this is from Rachel Jeffers on Facebook. She says, I have to tell you how much I loved your Muhammad, my friend episode. I think it was your best yet. The lyrical analysis had such depth and helped me make all kinds of meaningful connections that I had missed before. Thanks to Jessica Crispin, who did an amazing job helping us with that episode. Rachel continues on to say, There were a couple of things I was surprised no one mentioned. I can't decide if I'm being too obvious or if it's the opposite. The first was Shiseido Red. For me, this line has always evoked an image of a Japanese geisha. Shiseido is a Japanese company, and Shiseido Red brings to mind a picture of a geisha with red lips, which then alludes to the role of a geisha, and the culturally implied role of any woman anywhere to provide pleasure and entertainment for men. The recurrence of this happening today with the Me Too movement, this idea of men's entitlement to women's bodies for the sake of their own pleasure, or to make their world more decorative and pleasant. A perfect example of this is catcalling, in which men tell women to smile as a means of diminishing the woman's own personal sense of power and autonomy. Men don't harass women in order to compliment them. It's a way to undermine their confidence and sense of security in the world, thus maintaining the patriarchal power structure. Tori was way ahead of her time on this. If my geisha connection is too far-fetched, it is then reinforced with the next line about drinking tea. Geisha serve tea. Women are expected to sit politely and quietly sipping their tea, all the while their goddess is by their side being brutally crucified. Sitting quietly is key. Women aren't meant to have voices, and if women aren't quiet, if they do speak up, the impulse is that we can dismiss them because they must be crazy, which leads me to, and if I lose my Cracker Jacks at the tidal wave, it's clearly a reference to menstruation, right? And, reaching back to your Marianne episode, I was beside myself that no one elaborated on Quickest Girl in the Frying Pan. My mind instantly goes from this line to Out of the Frying Pan into the Fire, which I think is absolutely brilliant and very much in line with the dialogue Tori is having about the expectations of women and femininity. Have you read The Alphabet versus The Goddess? I have. I don't know if Tori read it, but if you're interested in exploring the themes of femininity, culture, religion, it is a fascinating place to start. Thanks again for a fantastic episode. We did that episode with Jessica Crispin in the Line by Line, who did an amazing job. She runs the podcast Public Intellectual. She really helped us through that episode, understanding not only just the surface themes that are presented, but even the underlying implications. Thanks for that note, Rachel. Woman. Incredible woman. Jupiter. Are those space pants you're wearing, Eve? Because your ass is as big as a planet. (laughs) That is not where I was going. Mm -hmm. God, have you learned nothing from this whole season about how to receive gracefully? No. Andy King wrote us on Facebook to say, Hi, friends. Enjoying the Pele episodes a lot. Just a quick note with some information about Jupiter, the Dakota version. And then he linked us to an NPR article in which NPR interviewed Tori, and they said... 
Another thing I've been thinking about while listening to Gold Dust is that your songs speak to the life cycle so beautifully. Listening to your solo debut, Little Earthquakes, now after 20 years, I'm really realizing that this is an album of a young woman entering a new phase of life. It has so many songs about family, about separating from your parents and becoming an independent woman. And then as your music moves forward from that point, we have marriage, we have the death of loved ones, we have the birth of your precious daughter. I wonder how these basic human themes and stories form arcs within your work. And Tori says, I think that's right. Tonight, two of my nieces will be here, Cody, whose full name is Dakota, and Kelsey. A song we're playing tonight is Hey Jupiter. This orchestration is based on the Dakota mix of that song. Kelsey also sang on Night of Hunters, so my nieces have been a huge influence and inspiration. Their lives and what they've been going through. They're at a different age than Natasha, my daughter, who's 12. My nieces are 20 and 27, and they're in a different stage of life. So yes, of course they know that they're muses for me. So Dakota is the full name of one of her nieces, Cody. This version carries her name, not the name of Lennon's assassination site. So that's a good quote that we should have had on that episode. (laughs) This is from Chris Showbrook. He says, I love the Jupiter episode, but wanted to point out something that I feel is important to the song's meaning and genesis. In July 1994, a comet called Shoemaker-Levy 9 collided with Jupiter after breaking apart two years previously. This was all over the news at the time. Tori is empathizing with the planet. This is why it's Jupiter, and this is why Jupiter needs a friend to run to. This would have been at the exact time of the breakdown of her relationship with Eric. The actual impact happened over a few days, from July 16th through 22nd, 1994, as separate fragments of the comet hit the atmosphere of Jupiter. I'm sure I remember reading something or hearing Tori reference this once, somewhere, but not often. Just wanted to add this little facet to the mythology of this incredible song. You can catch the collision on YouTube. So the collision of a comet called Shoemaker-Levy 9 into Jupiter. That's crazy. If a comet hit Earth right now. I'm ready. No. We've made it through Boys for Pele. I don't have have nothing left to give. No, I still want to talk about Siren. (laughs) Well, that's coming up soon in the rotation. We'll try to hold on for a couple more weeks. Yeah. This is a quote from iGuide from January 1996 from a Tori Amos one-on-one with Lisa Robinson. Lisa says, a lot of the new songs are about men. Was there ever a long period of time that you weren't involved in a relationship? Jesus. Pry. Tori says, not really. As I recall, for the most part, there was usually a changing of the guard. But his boot prints were still in the snow. Probably the guy walking out gave the guy walking in a cigarette and said, good luck with her. Half the time I was obsessed, and half the time I was bored. It was always extremes, but still, someone was there. It was important to have someone there. And male, definitely. (laughs) Well, if you can believe it, we missed yet another quote about Hey Jupiter. I can't believe it. All right. I've heard you tell a story about the song Hey Jupiter, and how you were on tour, and you woke up in a hotel room, and a man, a ghost, was sitting on the edge of your bed singing those lyrics. Some people have concluded that the ghost was John Lennon, based on comments you've made over the years. Can you officially confirm that? Ooh, bold. Mm. I haven't had a lot of ghosts come and talk to me in my life. Hasn't she, though? I haven't Just heard, a couple. I haven't heard anyone else talk about ghosts visiting them as much as Dory has. <laughs> All right. I haven't had a... That's why we're going to do a ghost episode for Halloween, which we didn't do. We can do it this year. Okay. We, now I, we have time to plan. We have a calendar. We made a Google calendar. That's with true. With all our appointments. Okay. It's a true collaboration. I haven't had a lot of ghosts come and talk to me in my life. Freddie sang me sugar all those years ago. And yes, that's right. Meaning about Lennon and Hey Jupiter. That's right. 
I was in Arizona at a really low point on the Under the Pink tour and everything was kind of just imploding. Eric and I had just split up. Mark and I weren't together. We were working together professionally, so we said hello, but that's it. So there was a time when I was up to all kinds of stuff. And in your life, sometimes you're exploring and you're trying to figure out who you are. Where do you fit in within the circle at that fire with your contemporaries and your friends and other people that you might be attracted to? But really, do you really want to go off and have kids? Probably not a good idea. Or you ask yourself, are you both too similar? Are you both too different that you're going to different galaxies, not just planets, different galaxies? So at that time, I think after having been in a relationship for a long time and making Under the Pink together, Eric and I had gone our separate ways early on in the tour, and it was many, 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 many months out there doing a lot of shows. I had deep questions, and this voice came to me, and Hey Jupiter was pretty much all sung to me. Are you gay? Are you blue? Thought we both could use a friend to run to, and it was like a lullaby being sung to me from the other side. Some of the lyrics, the lifting up her dress, I didn't need any help with that bit, she laughs. But yes, yes, that's all true. Wow. Let's name her ghosts. Let's name the ghosts of Tori Past. Okay. Let's play a game. First one to stumble on a ghost loses, starting with you. Freddie Mercury. John Lennon. African woman crying a thousand oceans. Anastasia. Kevin Aquan. Damn it. <laughs> I lost. What do I lose? Your dignity. My soul. <laughs> oh, oh, Marianne. <laughs> Damn. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Fine. Her. Her. Her with the bells. The bells. Her? <laughs> <laughs> that lady. The lady with the bells. That baron. Not the red one, though. Ugh. Hi, boys. It's Alexander Leger Small from out in Massachusetts. Just finished listening to the Hey Jupiter episode. And I just wanted to call and say I think it is absolutely fantastic that you're working on uh, bringing more women onto the podcast for more representation. Uh, but on the flip side of that, I just want to say, as a gay man... Uh, the Tory community has always been marketed to me as a female thing, and I find a lot of joy and reassurance and uh, safety and familial vibes from having a show that's hosted by two queer men and focuses on the queer aspects of Tory in a lot of ways uh, that I think that the media just kind of uh, hits on a basic level and is like, oh, she's so gay and hey, Jupiter, and she's a gay icon. I think you guys do a lot better, um, especially with the latest tour all year with uh, John and uh, Judy Dench. I loved it. I loved uh, the kiki feel of it. So uh, I don't want to keep talking. I could talk to you guys forever. Can't wait to come back for Toodles. And uh, I love you. Keep up the good work. Bye. Hi guys, my name is Keith Alexander. I'm a um, lifelong Tory fan and a recent subscriber. I just always really enjoyed everything you've produced. It's beautiful and I've really been enchanted by the last couple of episodes, primarily Muhammad, my friend. And that was really the catalyst for me, really signing up and being a Patreon supporter. Just, just the overall feeling of a connection to a song and being able to explain somehow and convey and, and describe how that connects to us personally is, uh, you're doing a great job. Hi guys, it's Michael Morrison. I was re-listening to the Hey Jupiter episode and had two thoughts. First, Tori seems to ascribe a special importance to the distance between Earth and Jupiter, which obviously he discusses in the context of the episode, but she also reuses this idea in Ranger King to quantify the depth of love she has for her mother, detailing 
her willingness to skate to the moon to Jupiter. She's obviously referring to different kinds of love in both songs, and maybe that's why she changes it to refer to the moons of Jupiter and Ranger King and not the planet. Or maybe she feels the moons represent a different type of energy, a better encapsulation of her feelings. Who knows? My other thought is much less erudite. Uh, remember in the Pretty Good Year episode, in which you discussed whether burning CDs refers to copying discs or actual fire, and Tori's comments on whether she was being forward-thinking with that lyric. Well, maybe she was being similarly prescient in Hey Jupiter when she sings, found your writing on my wall. Maybe she was foretelling a future in which seeing someone like an ex's comments or pictures in a social media stream, like a Facebook wall, might send one into an emotional tailspin. Anyway, thank you for all you do. I'm looking forward to the next episode, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Ibran and David. It's your old pal, Chrissy Olsen. Um, I just wanted to say that I would love to be on an episode of Wait, Wait, Don't Tour Me, because I think I would have won the last one. <laughs> Hey everybody, you're listening to Tour All Year, our private podcast exclusively for Patreon supporters at the $5 level and up. Today, we start the year off right by sitting down with living tour legend Maria Carullo. Maria, or Madge as we lovingly call her, has seen over 300 Tori Amos shows, and today, she reflects on some of her very favorite moments. It's January 2019, and you're listening to Tour All Year. And I was like freaking out because I was like, I have to be floor. This is crazy. I can't. So, so Steve Sanchez let me into the venue two minutes before the floor opened up and I climbed over the barricade. I climbed over it. No one fucking said a word and I ran to the front and I was front center. And a legend was born. Yeah, a legend. <laughs> For media access to this and other exclusive content, Head over to patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos and become a subscriber today. Yes, I know what you think of me. You never shut up. 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 Listen to our new show, five days a week, starting January 2019. Because we never shut up. Way Down Woman. Episode 0310, we talked about Way Down, and no one had any comments for us. Nailed it. Becoming a woman. Passionate woman. In episode 0311, we went to eat some food at the Little Amsterdam Cafe. I had some hominy. Kept rolling off my plate. We got it wrong, I guess, because Ann Ferguson and many others messaged us to say, my impression was that the range in Amsterdam equaled a stovetop or oven range, the Plath connection being her cause of death. Would also fit with the LA as a restaurant interpretation, like they're cooking Sylvia Plath. Mm. You want to read the next outraged patron? You mean the champagne of queers? Yes. Who wrote in on Twitter to say, re Sylvia Plath's influence on the song. I've always taken it to mean that the range is a double entendre. In one sense, it's like home on the range, the west, open country, and all that. But in the other, it's a range as in a kitchen stove oven, like what Sylvia used to gas herself. So like, don't take me back to the range. I'm just coming out of the cell in my brain. 
don't take me back to those suicidal thoughts. I'm just now starting to move past them. I love it, the champagne of queers. I drink to that. The Sister Janet wrote to us on Twitter and said, I wonder if one plath don't take me back to the range interpretation from the Tory quote is the little is the literal range as in the oven range that Plath put her head into when she committed suicide. I think you're all probably right. I think there's a lot of that in there. What do you think, David? I think so too. And that's <laughs> this is probably the one moment that embarrassed me the most with as much time as we spent talking about that to be like literally the oven range. <laughs> I don't know. S- speaking of literal, I'm very literal. Sylvia Plath stuck her head in the oven. And one, when one says range in reference to a stove, Ooh, what? That's what stove. I think. It's the stove top. She didn't lay her head on a grill. <laughs> she stuck her head in the oven. So <laughs> May she rest in peace. Yeah. This is from our friend and supporter, Andrea Adams. She says, here's what I think. The black lover caught mama and the sheriff in bed and killed them both. Mama isn't a term for a mother here. It's a term for his lover, like a hot mama. It wasn't my bullet is him in denial that he killed his love. Interesting. The black lover caught mama and the sheriff in bed together and killed them both. That's one way to look at it. Either way, it makes for enticing television. So in reference to that possibility, Shay couldn't help but chime in and say, I want this to be true, but things she said in interviews would contradict, i.e. the gender pronoun she uses. But no and T, she could have a little brown man inside her that she relates to on these levels. It's almost too easy. It is almost too easy. I won't even comment. Artie Pavlov wrote us to say how livid he was that we did not go into the comic book tattoo story, which we wanted to do that. We definitely wanted to talk about it. We reached out to the artist. He, I reached out to him twice. He never got back to us. And we had even had Lauren on that horn. We had like dates planned out to do the interview. He just never got back to us, unfortunately. Otherwise, we would have loved to have talked about it. But we're not going to talk about it without him. That would be disrespectful. So unlike us. Princess EO, that's Rachel. That's her handle on Twitter. Message us to say, I'm re-listening to Little Amsterdam. And you're talking about interracial relationships and how it relates to her personal life. 60s, 70s. And I'm remembering this quote. This is from Tori Amos in the studio by Jake Brown. What Tori was happy to be exposed to during her years at the Peabody were the musical interests of her fellow classmates, which went well beyond the classical repertoire on the course syllabus. She remembers one African-American student, Reggie in particular. He was sitting there playing some Hendrix stuff at the piano. I think he was really into McCoy Tyner also. I would just sit there because I was kind of in love with him, but I was five and a half and he was 17 and black in 1968. He had such an influence on my life. I have no idea where Reggie is, but his sense of playing, this could be in between classes, but I was drinking it in going, okay, this guy is onto something here. I've never really heard a mixture of these things. I don't know who this Jimmy cat is. I'm five years old. You got to remember I'm getting it together in my brain, but it had an impact on me. Thank you very much, Rachel, because totally, after listening back to that episode, it's like, we how can we bring up interrelational relationships and everything we're talking about without at least referencing the boy who Tori has talked about um, that she had a crush on at the Peabody? So there you go. I think this has a lot to do with Upside Down as well. Sure. That connection. But yeah, thank you, Rachel, for the quote. Passionate woman. Turned on to the woman. In episode 0312, <laughs> we gave ourselves permission to dance. Our choreos come a long way. It's we're looking come, good. Yeah, we're looking pretty good. Let's play this Tallulah that we didn't include. This is from Boulder on November 11th, 1996. 
with a seamless switch from Amazing Grace and God into Tallulah. know why that performance happened why because some very pushy fan wanted god well okay it was a fusion of two requests okay, from the tell me everything i okay. don't know this story yes you do i don't all right it was a fusion i guess of two requests of two requests from the meet and greet that day one guy wanted god i can't remember his name but i can picture him and someone else specifically asked her i want you to play Tallulah, but i don't want you to do it with the tornado intro. So can you not do, do the tornado Whoa. intro? And she honored that request and sang God instead. Wow. Yeah. Ballsy. Presumptuous. <laughs> never. I, I would never. Presu- like. I want you to sing Pretty Good Year, but I want you to sing David instead of Greg. I want you to sing Hotel and I want you to do it solo. <laughs> no. But she encourages them. She's, she's so generous to a fault. She encourages us all. Uh. This quote is from Music Week UK, December 16th, 1995, about Tallulah. She says, Tallulah is a grown-up nursery rhyme, and it's about finding joy when you're losing everything. 
you know that idea when you're just like in so much grief and then something strikes you as funny and like have this uncontrollable laughter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I feel about Tallulah. Like you're in the middle of all this heaviness. You just need a release, you know? I still feel cheated by the idea of a grown-up nursery rhyme. Uh, you're going to have to learn to accept it, David. You want to read this quote from the New York Times from the 14th of January, 1996? Here you go. Ms. Amos communicates this way in dizzy metaphors and tiny operas. Music shapes her colorful speech, her view of the world, her sense of her own body. Her flamboyant playing style, for example, may seem to be a sexy ploy, but it actually serves her needs as a player. She seems stimulated, to say the least. As she rises off the piano bench, pounding the keys with her head thrown back and her legs apart. But in reality, she says, I think I'm more turned on at the dentist. Same. I'll show you how it affects the muscles, she continues, placing her palm on her abdomen. My back leg gives me support, and that's what pulls up my diaphragm in my body. So I have the power to play and sing. I mean, to play a nine-foot instrument with power, it's not like strumming an acoustic. It's a very big, just like a double bass. On Boys for Pele, Ms. Amos conquers another formidable instrument, the harpsichord. Its arcane sound lends a mythical resonance to the album. Harpsichord represents a time that holds secrets, she says. I mean, I know that's why she sits that way. It's for the power. It's for the strength. I knew that, but I always assumed that first and foremost, it was to be able to connect with the audience and Mm -hmm. be facing them. Because it's not like a piano recital where you go and you're seeing someone in profile the whole time and they're not looking at you. It's like confrontation. Yeah. Um, Here's a quote that I really liked when talking about the box. She says, my engineer came up with that idea. Instead of blanketing the instruments to improve the acoustics, we'd blanket Tori. Put me in a box, she says. I had to stand up to do it because in the box, I couldn't swing my feet around. And this was not about cutting tape together. The space in between, the time it took me to turn around, you could never duplicate that. That's about Caudalite Sneeze, but we put all the recording quotes on Tallulah. Passionate little woman. Fiery little woman. Christina Mullinax wrote in to say, I just lulled, lulled loudly to at unreliable nair, N-A-R-R giving at IAEF hell about the expression dodge your razor blades and biscuits. Anyway, moving on. Hey guys, pay no attention to the crap I just spewed on the other voicemail. <laughs> Pick this one up. It's Sarah, and I still have my ADP t-shirt. Thank you so much. Uh, Baron holds a special place from my heart because I pretty much associate it now with my dad, who died in 2004 the same way Michael did, her brother. I told her I had the nerve to tell her everything on that first meet and greet. Everything that that album meant to me, that he bought that for me on cassette, and she signed it for me. And I think that's why it came out that night. And I just, I'm just so grateful that Baron exists. I didn't understand it when I was 16, but I only understood after I lost everything and everybody that sometimes you just have to sing them one last little sound. I just want to say I love you, Dad. You're my Red Baron, and you always will be. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hi, this is Douglas from Cedar Rapids. I was calling to say it's really awesome that the podcast is going out every week because I love getting notifications that there's new podcasts ready to go. So I have some thoughts on some recent podcasts and I just want to share them. Uh, I think that there's a connection between Jupiter and Wedding Day. I can't figure it out exactly. It's something between in Wedding Day, she references uh, Jupiter winking at the Earth. So I'm not sure what the connection is there, but it's kind of cool. So uh, I know that's a song that's far off in the future. Also, you were talking about the Madison show, 
in 94 and which one it was. And it was the earlier of the two. Um, in Indianapolis 2009, she mentions that it was the 15th anniversary of her first date with her husband. So that was right after that. So um, not that we need to get all specific into her dating life, but I thought that was kind of um, interesting that she's referenced that specific time point. Also, in the recent Tallulah podcast, you mentioned that the 2009 debut was in Detroit, but it was actually in Minneapolis. Um, I remember that show and being excited for Tallulah debuting at that. So, um, and I'm also hoping, even though it was a live track and there's only about a hundred B-sides for Boys for Pele, that you spend some time talking about her cover of Over the Rainbow from the Hey Jupiter EP, because, I don't know, I think a lot of fans out there really connected with that cover. Anyways, I love what you guys are doing. Keep it up. Talk to you later. Bye. Episode 0314, we discussed Agent Orange, and no one had anything to say. Outrageous. Can you believe this? All right, I'm getting the sense between Agent Orange and Way Down that listeners might be skipping (gasps) songs, A, that aren't that high on their lists, or that are just, you know seen as maybe the more throwaway intros and outros. Lesser tracks? There are no lesser tracks, I agree. And can I can I just say, for real, going into both of those, I was like, all right, these are going to be cute. We might not have that much to say. But they actually became two of my favorite episodes that we'd done, especially Agent Orange. I thought it was really fun. I wish we could have gotten Joel, but other than that, I thought it was really great. Yeah. We wind down with Paul Roy on that. That doesn't sound right. Grammatically incorrect. We wind down. We winded down nine times. Nine times with Paul Roy Taylor, and that, we had a blast. That reminds me of something I'll contribute then, since no one else did. Okay. When we were winding down with Paul Roy Taylor, and we were talking about uh, Agent Orange and the jazziness of it, and how it compares to other songs in Tori's catalog, and he was challenging us to offer other songs that sounded similar i feel like we both totally missed the mark Mm. and that i should have offered pandora's aquarium as the song that i think is the closest Mm. sonic sista to agent orange i support that but more importantly how dare he come into my studio and play a game that i haven't prepared for and drink your wine while doing it i know he could have at least given me a heads up text me we're going to be playing this game or he what was walked it? in here all smug in his stripy socks. Oh, uh, they were cute socks, though. Doesn't change anything. <laughs> Paul Roy recently gifted us a giant box of cassette tape bootlegs, and I identified probably 15 or 20 that are not yet online. So we're going to be putting those up, too, soon. Being enough as a woman. Woman enough. Woman. And I noticed that you sing your songs quite differently than the way we, we know them on the record. So what's your philosophy? Should, should the songs be the same live or should they just live by themselves? Um, we sort of made a deal, I think, many years ago mm-hmm. where um, if they were going to continue to come, continue to visit me, mm-hmm. I had to not need to control them so much and sometimes i i i do force my will on them in a big way yeah and in what um, way? 
Well, for instance, there's a song on the new album called Donut Song mm -hmm. that I, I put a bridge in on the record. And that bridge refuses to be played now. Oh, yeah. I had this bridge lying around for two years, and I wanted this bridge to be in a song so bad, I said, <laughs> okay. So I was a little bit of the mad scientist. And so now it just will not be played. It just doesn't come out. It won't, it won't be played. And I think it's funny, but when you kind of um, are a co-creator with your work, Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, I don't discount the fact that I'm interpreting these songs, but I think they're already alive in some form, in mm -hmm. some plane. And um, that means that because of my experiences, they come out the way that they do. However, I still have to respect that, you know, they have... A life of wishes. Yeah. Mm. You know what that was, David? The infamous quote... That was the quote. Oh, my God. The quote we've been looking for. <laughs> it the found we, us. The quote we waited our whole lives for. You know what, Eve? I think it's like love. It shows up when you stop looking. Oh, I guess we did stop looking. I did. We did stop looking for that quote, which was from Music Plus 1996. And guess who found it? The one and only Shay Stymack. Shay? She emailed me and she's like, is this the quote you were looking for? Mm. <laughs> Yes. I clicked it and immediately it all fell into place. Like even before I got to the part, I was like, yes, this is it. Oh my God. And there's no such thing as a Tori Amos Mandela effect. <laughs> I'm happy to know that now. Yeah. Yes. Were you excited about getting it? I was excited. We could finally lay it to rest. And it's crazy to me how clearly I remembered it. The more I thought about it, I knew it was from some sort of in-store. I thought it was from Canada. And I'd actually gone back to looking through, you know, telecasts that fit that description. And I did not find the right one somehow. Mm. What did you do when I sent it to you? I lost my goddamn mind. You did? Sitting there at Starbucks. Ah! I jumped up out of my seat. Did a full circle and pinwheels in <laughs> both hands. I was so excited to find that quote. So I invited Shay Stymack while she was on her way back from Disneyland to stop into the Drive All Night Studios and chat with me about it and about many, many other things. So here is our interview with Shay Stymack. No one will know, no one will care. So I am gonna eat some donuts. I'm here with Shay Stymack. Hi, Shay. Hello. You're here in the Drive All Night Studios. Yes, it's can beautiful. You, can, you, can you explain to the people what you see right now before you? I see some really cool robot art uh, pieces. And, and and the Cornflake Girl limited edition box. Yes, of course. The hanging doll. We have the cardboard cutouts of all the dolls. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Our walls are just decorated with pink under the pink vinyls. I'm surprised you're not more uh, active on collectory with all the right, I know. Well, you know, I can't let them get a, their hands on my stash <laughs> or my know. booty. No. Pretty amazing. Shay Stymack has done some of the research, some of the priceless research for our Boys for Pele season. It's been incredible what you've done, Shay. 
Um, most notably, Shay found that quote. How do you yes. feel? I feel like a million bucks. I was very excited to send <laughs> it your way. <laughs> we searched for that quote for so long. And one day Shay just in my email was like, is this what you mean? Mm. LOL. Ha ha. Found it. And like I sent it to David. David used it on his other podcast. Oh, really? Don't be afraid of your dreams. He was so excited that we found it. Did he really? He used it That's on his funny. other podcast. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, because we searched for so long. We started to think it was like a phantom quote that we had made it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had things like that happen. Like there was actually, we were talking about the light princess a few minutes ago, but there's when he sings like my little girl or whatever. I was like, I know she's done that in like an improv or something uh-huh. like live that I've seen. And I even put it on light princess, like Facebook group and Char, she was like, I don't know. And I think it was Lisa Ridlon too was like, I'm going to try to look through my CDs and see because it was like this thing that I had to find. And so anyway, like I get what you mean about like looking for something or thinking that you remember something. Maybe it doesn't exist, but that did. <laughs> it did it exist. Did. <laughs> Isn't it weird how we have this like weird just I think because she sense lives memory like recall. in yeah. our subconscious. Right. Within us. Yeah, and, she and, lives like, within us just, all. Uh, yeah, living our lives and we're like, oh, that's was that Tori that just said that right. or saying that? No. Was that my own thought? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it. Um, Shay's on our research team along with Rachel and Jennifer Buchanan. Jennifer Buchanan is researching all of the little Earthquakes episodes that we're releasing on Drive All Night Plus. But Shay's been doing the main episodes. How's that been? What's it's been? It's been really fun. Really? I've actually really loved doing it. Yes. You put I... together a mean document. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I try to be as organized as you are. I kind of did my homework with the episodes you sent me, and then I, I think I started on the Tallulah episode. Uh-huh. Um, it was really, it's really fun. I love being able to go back and hear, you know, interviews or read articles that I had maybe forgotten about or never seen before or heard before. And yeah, it's and it just actually, and then I'll go back and listen to that track or whatever. And, you know, this girl that I've lived with for however long, you know, it's like it has a new life because I saw this one little, you know, explanation that she gave or something and it just makes it new again, you know? So it's really cool to, to we were talking that. on the season too about, um, Twinkle, it was on the Twinkle episode where she said one time on stage about how the song was influenced by this woman that she'd met, Mm -hmm. this beautiful lesbian that she met in the Abbey or who worked at the Abbey. And like if that hadn't been bootlegged, like we would never know Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy to me. I know. And that's why I think it's so important to the research portion because you can find something like one little piece said in a French article Mm -hmm. that she never said again that really sheds a whole new light. I don't know how unique that is to the Tory community because I'm not really like as intense for any other artist. So I don't know what the comparison is, but just as an example, like last night we were in the car, me and my family, and we were, I was talking about coming over here today and, um, I was, he, he, my husband was like asking me, um, how does, you know, how do you dedicate an entire episode to one song, you know, and what do you use? And I was like, well, people have recorded shows. Like it's a whole thing like that. They were like, my kids and my husband were like, why would, why would you have such an archive or why would there be all these things available, you know? And it's just, it's super impressive. So like I said, I don't know how common that is, but it's just amazing that we have it for our girl, you know? Yeah. It's really cool. I mean, you know, we are noted to be rabid, mm-hmm. <laughs> quote unquote, mm-hmm. and really dedicated. But I agree. I don't know how common it is. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, not to throw shade or anything. And I'm not throwing shade. I can't imagine doing this for like anyone else. I mean, I'm super into Ani DeFranco. Like, yeah. I love, love Misamani And Kimbra. I love Kimbra. But 
there's nowhere near i mean especially i guess you'd use ani as an example because she's been around for mm -hmm. as long as tori but there's nowhere near all even just like the interviews the tv yeah. the magazines all of it exactly find, like the you know? archive there's nowhere near uh, she because tori loves to gab you know mm -hmm. and people love to interview her mm -hmm. maybe that's part of it i can see as far as ani defranco goes I'm sure there are people out there who would put this much time into yeah. her music, but it would be m much more difficult. She, I think maybe because she's less of a mystery in some ways, yeah. you know, like yeah. Tori's like kind of like, you kind of have to figure things out. Yeah. And he's just like, this is the way I am. This is the yeah. way it and is. And don't talk this to me. Why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Girl power. And that's right. about it. When we started doing this show, it's because I'd heard another show, a Tom Waits podcast, mm -hmm. and I was obsessed with the idea. And I thought like, I could do this so much better, you know, because I have a, such a wide circle of Tory friends we can have people on we can separate it into per episode like people can talk about their signatures so mm -hmm. I was like having all these ideas right and like that show continues to be at like the 15 20 minute per episode mark that's mm -hmm. why our show started out that short because I was like oh that's how you do it was it a song by song yeah kind it's of, a uh -huh. song by song uh -huh. and they obviously move so much faster than we have uh -huh. um but yeah it's like there's so much for every track I think it's great that you've made the episodes as long as they are and put Thank in you. every detail that you can possibly find that you think is relevant. Right. And, you know, it's great. Like, yeah, those older little earthquakes, they were great. They were great. But they were like, short. They end and you're like, <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah. Where'd it go? Yeah. So I'm excited to rehear. Yeah. This. We're going to be, you know, at the end of this month, we'll be crucified. Exciting. I know. Oh, my God. I'm nervous. Okay. Um, okay. So what's been the most infuriating thing that we've said on this season that you just, you throw down your earbuds you're like i can't do this anymore um i don't know about infuri infuriating but so i don't agree with a lot of the sexual in innuendos you maybe interpret things as <laughs> or um not maybe not as many as you think Such have to as? do um the peanut butter hand that's disgusting yeah it is it has <laughs> nothing to do with i stand corrected <laughs> the woman's anatomy all right <laughs> i'll never live that down what else um, I don't know. I can't think of another one. Give me, you help me We out. were in springtime of his voodoo and someone said to me, how, you're crazy, you guys. She says, me pureed sanitarily, Mr. Sulu Warp Speed is a clear reference to her vibrator. And, and I was like, oh yeah, because that explains the yeah, 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 yeah. Like it, I, Warp Speed, like I get all of it. Mm. And I now think something, because I, in the episode, I was like, that's vaguely sexual, and I'm, like, afraid to touch it because I don't know what it means. And this made total sense to me. How do you feel about it? Well, that line in particular, I don't think of as a sexual remark. I think of it as, like, okay, so in the springtime of his voodoo, like, he's showing her, like, the most beautiful part of himself like mm -hmm. he you know has been ugly like he she's been through ugliness and like this is finally something beautiful that she like sees or whatever so the me pureed sanitarily like i have been like ground and down into the ground you know under his boot everything has you know i'm just ugly but then i reemerge as like sand like i'm clean you know like i've i'm just gonna be in the springtime it's all brand new like here I am, world, you know, I'm better and <laughs> cleaner. And so that's the sanitarily part. And so that she's like happy about it, you know, like, right. yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about her vibrator. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Okay. I'm kind of a prude anyway. So, so am I. Like, I feel much 
more prudish than most when yeah. it comes to Tori Amos. I'm like, oh, she doesn't have sex. No, no. no. She's she is like, she's my mother. Like, right. my tr- <laughs> she, is, she raised me. She is my mother. Right, you can't talk I about it. I love you, mom, but Tori, you know, she's my other mother. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I agree with that statement. Yeah. But I will say that I do feel that that might be a line that, but I agree with that person that it was okay. a reference about her vibrator. I, that's just where I stand. God knows. Reach out to us. We'll do a wrap up for the wrap up. Mm. And and you know, I've never again. really thought about that line in particular mm-hmm. until you know you have to, you go through it and you're listening to you guys talk about it and you're like, oh, mm. that wasn't just like another little free scat whatever yeah. moment. Like, there's gotta be a, <laughs> there's a, a right? interpretation. Really, so, I mean, like some of it's funny to me. Paul Roy came over and he was like, uh. Like he said, just boldly, boldly Mm -hmm. to our faces. He said, I think it's so funny that you guys interpret the lyrics because I don't hear them. Mm. And like, she probably doesn't mean anything by anything. She probably just says words. I'm like, that's not true. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Paul Roy, Paul Roy. And sometimes I feel silly. Like when we put a lot of effort into tuna, rubber, a little blubber Mm -hmm. in my igloo, Mm -hmm. like those times I'll feel silly. But other times I think like we're missing something. There's something deep, so deep here that. But don't you remember when you were in high school um, it was just last week okay so when that album came out and okay let me just speak for myself i was you know 16 and i was so i lived for tori Amos's music i you know was not i didn't want to like look like her be like her i guess in my mannerisms but like every word that she said like it was part of me you mm-hmm. know what i mean mm-hmm. so for, for lyrics like that tune or rubber like it had to mean something to you in them and at that age you know for me at least or and i drank a lot of wine i wanted to <laughs> but 16, you were underage <laughs> a lot of wine and coffee and i activity. only i only did so because she did but me and my <laughs> my sister my my uh good friends back then like we would just that's when those lyrics meant so much and mm. now that you know i'm an older lady and I've got teenagers of my own like it's not as close to me anymore but I remember that that was like part of who I was even though some of the lyrics might not have meant so much to even her who Mm -hmm. wrote them but Mm -hmm. I don't know no I get it it's when I was a kid um dissecting her like poetry Mm -hmm. everything has to mean something Mm -hmm. because it was so kind of in you mm-hmm. yeah like you lived for her music mm-hmm. so did i it and, had to mean something uh, yeah. or else what did you what was your yeah. existence for yeah, like yeah. nothing yeah <laughs> yeah it's like you know how they say puppies are companion animals and that like when you leave they have no sense it's like it's like a black hole they have mm-hmm. no sense of what they're supposed to do because you're gone mm-hmm. that's how i feel about <laughs> when there's yeah. not a tori amos album mm-hmm. like what am i supposed to do i know yeah yeah ridiculous <laughs> um what's been another moment of the season that's that stood out to you hmm. either in a good or a bad way oh it's always good i really loved the horses episode a lot because i loved all those live versions father lucifer was a great episode mm, i love that lucifer, episode I think, was my favorite of the season yeah um what was just, what was so good about it was it the was it the bridge at the end yes <laughs> <laughs> i wanted you guys to make that a ringtone so i could have it as my ringtone <laughs> Um, Embarrassing. I thought it was really cool that you had a lot more um, guests or people like hosting with you, mm-hmm. Val and, and David. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, I don't know. It was just a standout the way that mm, you guys talked about the going into the underworld and like getting her talisman and all this. Like I never really thought about the song that way, mm-hmm. even though it's probably the more obvious like explanation. I, 
made me think of it in a different way. Yeah. I said this earlier, but I've listened to all the episodes Mm -hmm. in preparation for this wrap up, which it's a, there's hours of Mm -hmm. content there. It's hard to get through when you're listening to your own voice, just like again and again. But Father Lucifer, I never once thought of my own voice. And I thought like, this is really fun. Yeah. Val was great. We had a great conversation with Mead. Mm-hmm. King Britt was on that episode. Yes, he I was great. Him. Yes. I was very proud of that episode. And David's first episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else sticks out? Um, I really love Tallulah. That was Probably your first one that you researched. That, yeah. And I think I really loved it for that reason, because I would just like listening and like remembering what I had sent you or put in the um, notes and just excited, you know, to hear, to hear. Those the, are my notes come to yeah, life. Yeah. It was just cool. And um, yeah, that was, that was awesome. And voodoo was fun to research. Did you, as someone who's doing the research and putting together the documents, does it ruin some of the magic when you listen to the episode? No. No? No. I love you guys. Okay, good. Yeah. Not at um, all. It's funny because these documents, that, um, we they're available to all our Patreon supporters at any level, $2 and up. We put them on our uh, Patreon page, all of the notes, and they're great documents. They're like great keepsakes for just like an official written record mm-hmm. of each episode. And they can get pretty deep. My favorite thing to do is to scrub the old mailing lists, like the RMTA and uh, the Really Deep Thoughts mailing list. Because sometimes you like you get like little p- clues. Well, Shay... What yes. else do you have to say? Um, just thank you for doing this podcast, really. I love it thank so much. Thank you for doing the I podcast. I mean, Tori's music has been like my whole life. She's carried me through and finding this podcast has seriously like made my love for her grow even more. And you guys are just awesome. Can we talk about your sister? We can. Can we talk about your sister yes. for a second? We played her cover of Caudalite Sneeze. Doesn't she have a beautiful a- voice? Yeah. Yes. So, you know, she emailed it to us and she's like, you know, I mean, I did this thing and I just, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was so, I was so mm-hmm. happy to play it on the episode. I'm wondering why she doesn't do a cover of every song. Oh, yeah, don't give her. her any ideas. She <laughs> might just do that. Yeah, tell yeah. her to do a cover of, anytime she, anytime Lynn, that you have a cover, send it our way. Her husband plays guitar and that would be awesome if he, yeah, learned each song yeah. and, and she sang along. Projects yeah, and then tour. She has been singing in one way or another since she was little, but she used to do like all the talent shows and stuff in high school. Lindsay, everybody knew her as, you know, the girl that could sing in oh. school, you know. And um, yeah, so she used to do it a lot more, like sit around, you know, just campfire with some friends at a party or whatever and sing whatever came to mind. But um She's played at the um, San Francisco Treasure Island Flea Market a few times. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, they've had a show up at the Phoenix in Petaluma, so shout out to them. But yeah, she's she's got a beautiful yeah, voice. I love hearing voice. her song. So. Anytime you have a cover, Lynn, send it our way. Mm-hmm. The spire is heard and my sills can't feed And you still got that bell Dragging my foot, yeah Hiding in well, sister, I'm a steam, but I still got that bear dragging my foot and building, yeah, tumbling down. Didn't know what love was so small, couldn't stand it all, Mr. St. John. Just bring your son Woman I went back to the woman In the springtime of his voodoo What did you think, David? Did you have fun recording that one? 
That was another fun one. Good live performances, good live section. Ah, voodoo. (laughs) Here's a quote from Tori talking about playing with Katen. So at this time, are you with your piano or you have a band with you? Um, The piano's there, the harpsichord's there. Oh, yeah. And um, Steve Caton, who has played on all three of my records. Well, I I should say four because he was in Why Can't Tori (laughs) Read. Yeah. So he's... He's my buddy of 10 years. He's a very dear friend. And when I thought of playing with anybody, um, I just went, you know, Caton, for whatever reason, it's like we seem to, um, I don't know, know what each other's going to put on our sandwich. We just know. And um, he has come for the whole tour. So you you have how many musicians? Just, just Just him. Just him. Oh, wow. Oh, love that time. I miss them. I miss them together. Me too. But again, we were lucky to have it. We were lucky to have it. I will always long for it. Now we've got a stack of cassette bootlegs with hundreds of more performances. That's true. I know. I haven't. I don't know if I've even ever heard these. I don't know if they've ever been available. I've never traded cassette bootlegs. I've only ever traded CD bootlegs. So if these have never been digitized, then I know. I've very never few heard them. people have probably heard them if oh they haven't made God. their way online. I can't wait. Um, this is a quote from Music Week UK from December sixteenth, nineteen ninety five, and Tori says he was going to show me spring. Going to are the operative words, and I know we read that on the show. However, going to are the operative words, so we were going to read it again. <laughs> As we get closer to the end of the album, on the end of the wrap-up, it's becoming a little too real. I'm going through it all over again. Separation, vulnerability, hangover. Hangover. This is from Peoria 1996, and this performance was requested and is dedicated to the handsome Mario Scala.
woman. Inspired by woman. Putting the damage on, we forgot to say thank you to Dennis Stymack, who was able to pull the instrumental from the DVD. He pulled it for us at the very last minute. I was trying to get it out right before the new year, and I said, oh my god, I can't go live with this episode until I have the instrumental in there. And I was talking to Shay, and she said, my husband, turns out, is a musician genius, and he loves audiovisual equipment, and here it is. It was like five minutes later, she had it in our inbox. That's incredible. So thanks, Dennis. This is from Delaney Drawhorn on Twitter, who says, the title strikes me as common, like put a record on or put the tea on, like the damage is unremarkable after the feeling of devastation has left, like I'm devoid of feelings now, and I'm able to focus on his beauty instead of pitying him. Thanks, Delaney. It's funny that he says that, though, because it sounds to me is not common. It's, he says it sounds common to him, like put the record on. But to me, it sounds very exotic, like putting the damage on. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, he must just have more exotic ears so that the exotic is commonplace. I must just have common ears. <laughs> I agree. I don't know if I would say exotic, but poetic for sure. Oh, yeah. And I definitely stole it and put it in a poem i'm doing air quotes that i wrote in 10th grade you should be doing air quotes around the word wrote what did i say poem Poem. (laughs) wrote poem both things were questionable (laughs) i passed off tori's poetry as my own in high school but not because i wanted people to think i wrote it but because i wanted a true opinion on the yeah. song you were trying to get back to our criticism right no market I wanted research to, i was what i was really trying to do honestly is to get miss comer to do the song analyzation that i'm doing 22 years later i wanted her to just tell me what the song meant you, why'd you want that old perv to tell you what the song miss comer wasn't a perv <laughs> she was she was trying to tell you all about light sneezes being orgasms she was but they were <laughs> one of the romantic poets said that that catching a light sneeze is like having an orgasm that the feeling of sneezing and Having an orgasm is the same feeling, Mm. and you can't do either with your eyes open. Um, A little bit about the Black Dyke Mills Band from the Take to the Sky fanzine, issue 10, page 22. In the fanzine, it says, Are you old enough to remember a single by the Black Dyke Mills Band? Thingamabob, written by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, was released on Apple Records and featured Yellow Submarine on the B-side. Speaking of the Black Dyke Mills Band, did you know that they have won the National Brass Band Championships a record 28 times? I reached out to the Black Dyke Mills Band, the BDMB. I reached out to them, um, and they never got back to me. And I really would have. It's it's a revolving band mm. of musicians. So. Is it like Menudo? <laughs> Probably. It's always a different lineup. Probably. Ricky Martin's involved. It's very strange. Playing the piccolo. <laughs> but they, no one ever got back to me. And I, I don't know that anybody who played 22 years ago would be in the band still. But maybe because these musicians have, you know, you're always a musician if you're a musician. Mm -hmm. So who knows? But they never got, and if they ever do get back to me, we'll do like a special episode. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This is from Tim Carew, who we love and who we interviewed on this episode. He wrote us and he said, one thing I forgot to mention when we were talking regarding the damaged damage. I love this, by the way. This, Tim, I think you nail. Go ahead. You both were a little skeptical at the idea that the song was damaged itself, which, fair, but I wanted to point to two pieces of evidence supporting the idea that the song itself may have been damaged from Tori's perspective. First, that quote that you play of her describing of how it came to her, and she had to spend time with it in order for it to fully come out. It evokes the image of someone reserved and timid. She made Tori work, perhaps because she was damaged and wanted proof that Tori wasn't going to damage her further. Am I taking the song as person metaphor a little too far? Sure I am. But like Fox Mulder and Dana Scully before me, 
I want to believe. Trust no one, Tim. Least of all damage. Second, Ephraim, you actually later in the episode describe it as structurally broken at around 5948. She came with time code. Thanks. She came referencing prepared. it. That it's hard to pick out the melody and to find where the song is going, which is an amazing point. Based on these two things, I can actually get behind the description of the song as damaged, and I think you should too. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Anytime, Tim Carew. Polite smattering of applause. Yeah, I think I can get behind that. The song was damaged. I like it. Structurally. That's why it took her so long to really kind of get it together. She had to. She sit was with shy. Her. She was shy. She had She's... to sit with her, go to movies with her. She was a Clyde type of girl. Who do you think paid for the movies? Oh my God. I think they'd... <laughs> she tried to pass damage off as a kid. She's like, <laughs> one child and one adult, please. Kids combo. Becoming a woman. Honoring woman. On episode 0318, we twinkled. This is from Music Week UK. And you know what? We didn't include this quote, but it really would have shed light on the song in a way that we didn't, I feel, in that episode. I agree. Because we didn't have this quote. That's a shame. And really, I think it sums up the entire album, this entire project. And I feel like I'm humiliated that we didn't include this quote because we couldn't have said it better than this quote. No. This quote really nails, and I'm talking nails, what this album is about, what the song is about, what the whole Tori Amos catalog now administered by Downton Music Publishing, (laughs) what it's all about. I know. This quote really blows B-Side Magazine from May, June 96 out of the water. My alliance has shifted. I don't know why I spent so much time praising that interview. Not because you hadn't read this quote. It was all right here. Because this quote. Yeah. Shall you read the quote? Yeah. This is from Music Week UK, David. Read the quote. This is about Twinkle. Tori Amos says, It's self-explanatory. Obviously. (laughs) Naturally. It's self-explanatory. Or whoever. Well, that's it for all of our episodes. We have a little bit more to talk about, but how do you feel, David? I feel extremely positive. You do? Yes. I feel exhausted. You do. And rejuvenated. Well, it's getting late. Um, this has been an incredible season for many other reasons. We've, Besides the fact that we've been in it for two years, we've been in this season nearly for two years, a lot of things have happened to us. We've gone on tour this season. We've started two new podcasts this season. Um, I would like to talk a little bit about something sad. We have a supporter, Brian Jensen. Unfortunately, Brian Jensen took his own life January 1st, 2018. And when we found that out, um, it was right after tour ended. Uh, It was very sad to find that out. And I wanted to pay a little tribute to him on this episode because he was such a great guy. And he did communicate with us often. Um, And this is from his friend, Tiffany Scavetta. And this is her email about Brian. She says, Brian was an amazing man. He made everyone happy that he met. Bree, as I called him, went on a Mormon mission in Barcelona, and his friend Cammy introduced him to Tori in 1991. He would always buy the Melody Maker to get his music fix. When he came home from his mission, he got a job at Marriott Reservations, and that's how we met in 1992. Since we worked at a hotel, we got cheap rates, and Tori hopped. We went to lots of shows and meet and greets. He was my daughter's quote-unquote dad, the closest thing he'd have because of his lifestyle. I was his fag hag, if you couldn't tell. He made it possible for my Vanessa to meet Tori at nine months old. He loved to send his favorite podcasts secret infamous packages. There was a time where he was so involved with Tori that he listened to her for 15 years straight. After that, he loved to find new music and groups. He was the most amazing person you could ever know. 
Baker Baker was his favorite Tory song. He loved your podcast and how you dissected her songs. It gets really addicting. He was just amazing. I love and miss him so much. He was and still is my best friend. Brian Lee Jensen, October 10th, 1971 to January 1st, 2018. I'm going to the graveyard to sing you to sleep now. Let's take a moment to just hold some space for Brian and play his favorite song. Baker, Baker, can you explain if truly his heart was made of icing and I wonder how mine could taste maybe we could change his mind I know you're late for your next parade you came to make sure that I'm not running well I ran from him in all kinds of ways guess it was his turn this time time thought I'd made friends with Well, David, we've done it. We gone, done, did it. Hmm. Oh, that heavy sigh as a man who just finished Pele. <laughs> <laughs> I think Pele finished me. <laughs> Pele finished us both. Thoughts, David? Parting wisdoms? You know what? I'm not feeling as sad as I would have thought or as I thought I would be. Just over it. Definitely not feeling articulate, though. <laughs> You're ready to go. <laughs> Packing up my bag, looking at my watch. Yes. No, I feel like we... Did this album justice to the best of our ability. Maybe it wasn't perfect, but you know what? One of the things I'm working on is letting go of perfectionism Mm. and beating myself up over not doing everything right the first time. I think we did it right the first time. I think we did a damn good job. I think it's the best Tori Amos Boys for Paley podcast there ever has been. (laughs) I do too. But I mean, I'm sort of joking about the, the perfectionism whatever part. But um, I don't know. I expected getting to the end of this to be sad. Like we could never talk about the album again. Like we aren't <laughs> going to still be talking about it for however many hundreds of episodes. Right. Not that obviously we'll be doing episodes devoted to these songs, but they'll come up. Yeah, they'll come up. They'll be hanging around. They'll come up. <laughs> Chilling. It's not like the album will cease to exist and we can never speak of it again. <sighs> Although, so what dramatic. if we did impose Ooh. an arbitrary rule on ourselves, like we're shutting the door and we could never Mention reference it. Boys for Paley again once we move on like from even it. Even when we talk about set lists and stuff, we right. can't save a song. No. Let's say we end this episode with our contest and our favorite remix. Yes? This is The Boy Who Can Remix doing Up the Creek. Oh, well, the remix has started. It's time to go. Oh, I can feel I'm packing up my stuff. Oh, yeah, I live here. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, no. <laughs> You're packing up my stuff. Oh, I get it. <laughs> All right, fine. Give me a second. Um, we have a contest. You want to tell the people about our contest? Yeah, I do. Uh, we're giving away a... Sorry. <laughs> Take it away, me. <laughs> we're go giving ahead, a, We're you. giving away a deluxe 
double LP vinyl of Boys for Pele. 2016. 2016. That's the one you want. It's remastered. It's thick. It's brand new to you. She's thick. She's sick. Oh, it's thick. 180 gram vinyl. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a pretty great prize. So you're going to have to work for it a little bit. That's right. You do have to work for it, but we're going to make it worth your while. We're going to throw in the deluxe double disc CD as well. So you're going to get a vinyl, the double vinyl. You're going to get the double disc, the 2016 versions of both. Um, and this prize goes to the first person who emails us correctly. And our email address is songsoftoriamus at gmail.com. The first person who emails us the correct answer, how many times have the boys for Pele songs been played live as stated on our podcast? Now, we said each song clearly how many times. And of course, in the first few episodes, we missed the Native Invader stats because the tour hadn't happened. But that's not what we want. We want what we said on our show. How many times have the boys for Pele songs been played live? as stated on our show whether it's correct or not as stated on our show first person to email us songs of at gmail.com takes the vinyl the double vinyl and the double disc oh good luck season over i want to say congratulations to our contest winners this season dave thomas who won the mr zebra contest and rants it's still on his list to do but he'll be sending that to you directly as soon as he's done so dave thomas we haven't forgotten about you and alexander leger small your artwork is also still coming so you guys we haven't forgotten I would like to say thank you to our wonderful research team, Shay Stymack, Rachel Schultz, and Jennifer Buchanan, who's been researching the Little Earthquakes episodes. Um, and very special thanks to our webmaster guru, Amanda Hawkins, who's helping me with the website. Oh, and then all these guests that we had this season. David, you want to do one column? The credits are rolling. Roll we them. We had so many great guests. Special thanks to Colin the Pele Baby, Shaggy, Jason Irvin, Paul Roy Taylor, Lauren Eshwee, Oral Atrium, Wade Alberti, Stephen Eckler, Gavin Bradley, aka Handsome Gavo, wink wink, Yanta, Eric Engel, Omaha Perez, Mead at sugarbutch.net, Val Patterson, King Britt, Evelyn McDonald, Johnny D. DeMiro, Rance Hosley, Jared Good, he sure is, Ryan Benningfield, Kako, Martin Eden, Mike Mayhek, Gloria Hawa. We also would like to say thank you to our other guests, Valerie Naranjo, Mike Lipscomb, Alexander Leger-Small, Jessa Crispin of the podcast Public Intellectual, Craig Fisher, Jamie Soretti, who now just seeing her name on the page makes me weep. Ugh, good tears though. Earl Sebastian, Christina Sabez, Mark Mullins, Mark Kaur, Kira Lee, Sergio Mora, Emmy Kane, Daniel Christopher Thomas, Nancy Shanks, Nancy Bennett, George Porter Jr., Anthony Methvin, Stephen Sisk Provencio, Tim Carew, John Aursler, and of course, we'd like to say thank you to the two hosts who took over duties for us during Wait, Wait, Don't Tour Me, Chuck Woolerief and Tom Berger-Anderson. This has been a wonderful season, guys. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
a woman, honoring woman. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoryamis.com.